with somebody who loves me. Welcome back. It's us, your fight or die crew, Adam, founder, host, content, editor, renaissance man, extraordinaire. We're here in his basement looking at a slightly revamped studio. It's looking good. And we're happy to welcome Charlie Campbell back. Hello. And we're also going to be joined by Cole. Cole, I didn't even catch your last name yet. It's uh, Cole Bakken. Cole Bakken. Yeah, yeah. I am, of course, Will Atkinson. And he's a he's not under any duress right now at all for the <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Mention he's in my basement. This is on he's here on his own volition. Uh, there's no wow. lotion requirement to be able to stay here. I'm staring right Wait, at a what? crossbow with uh, <laughs> some sort of optic on it. There's obviously trophies on the wall. Space for one more. For those that don't know, those are dead animals on the wall. <laughs> Uh-huh. I do f- I do feel safe here amongst you folks, but um I'm interested to talk about the things I'm interested to talk about, right? So Charlie, last time you were here, you were joining us from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And since then you've been up to a thing or two and Cole, I understand you have some experience in Afghanistan, is that right? Uh, I was actually in Iraq. You were in Iraq. Yeah. Okay. Um but you have so my 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 old unit that I deployed to Iraq with and uh, three ten out of Fort Polk, they're in Afghanistan right now. Uh, deployed about a month ago, right before Kabul fell. Spent some time at the uh, embassy tearing that down, and then we're uh, holding it down over there at the airport. So let's get to the truth. How many hours have you spent on clearance jobs trying to figure out how to get back overseas? <laughs> Too much time, man. Too much time. I found a couple good opportunities. It's just you know. After the blast, they're not really taking anything anymore. So, I think we hoped, you know, and Will, Will reached out to me and stuff about this episode, bringing Chuck back on, talking about Afghanistan. It's like, how many veterans right now are either trying to figure out how to get back over there, going anyways? You know, yeah. you saw that Pineapple Express mission they just pulled off. That's insanity. Right. Right. Yeah, I was like, you don't even got to pay me, man. I'll just go over there. I don't, I do not care. But. Same. Yeah. That's where we're at. It's weird now, though. There's, like, different variations of ISIS. Now it's ISIS-K. Yep. Well, even when I was there, too. I mean, now I don't have to, you know, be as OPSEC uh, concerned or whatever. But uh, even when I was there, too, that that was still a concern. Um, they were talking to us about, like, the independent players outside of the Taliban and, like, ISIS-K and, like, the Haqqani and all these, like, tiny little groups or whatever. So, um, it's funny people hearing people say, like, oh, God, ISIS-K. Oh, they're in Afghanistan now. It's like, well, I was hearing, you know, briefings about that when I was over there still, so it's nothing new. (laughs) I just didn't know about it. Just to refresh everybody, you know, reorient us to what months, when were you last in Afghanistan? I left, God, uh, July 17th, I want to say, like the day after I turned 29, I think. Yep. 2020? Yep. Yep. And then got there, got to Kabul in November of 2019 and then left july yeah 2020 so wow 
So, and you deployed with the 105th over there with them. Uh, so the 128 uh, infantry uh, unit in Wisconsin, they were take they were deploying and they needed extra, you know, people or whatever. So um, we had two squads from my unit. You know, we all uh, got organized or whatever, and then got attached to the 128 and then deployed with them. So we were just kind of an attachment, but we, you know, I mean, still deployed with the Wisconsin right. National Guard. Right. So what province were you guys in? Uh, we were in Kabul, so okay. uh, everyone got sent over to because we got attached to SFAB units. Yeah. So we were sent, you know, all over the place. Like my squad, um, it was just us and one other one two eight squad in Kabul with uh, the SFAB unit. And then there were guys like the other squad that uh, we had in the one hundred fifth. They were up in Mazarai Sharif, I think. Yeah. So I mean, everyone was spread out all over the country. It was like you're in this own independent little unit. It wasn't like you're going as a platoon, as a company, or whatever. It's just squad. So it was it was kind of weird. So it's familiar grounds right now with everything going on. You kind of recognize some of the stuff you're seeing in the news. Recognize oh, yeah. the areas. Oh yeah. No, I mean every time there's a picture or a video on the news of Kabul, I'm like, yep, went down that street eight billion times. They showed a map of uh, the airport and all that, and I'm like, I've seen that map. A million times drove drove around the entire thing drove through it like i mean there is yeah i'm i'm st- it's, it's been a year but i i can still remember all the all the names for the streets that we had and all that stuff like that so there is no forgetting that <laughs> right, right right so what were what was the mission set uh we were attached to uh one of the sfab units and they what does that mean uh security forces assistance brigade and they were basically from my understanding uh trying to take over part of the sf units uh training or whatever so to kind of kind of take some of that stress off of them so they were training the afghan units and all this other stuff and the unit that we were with was mostly engineers, so we were building checkpoints everywhere around the city, outside of the city, fixing barriers and all this other stuff, um, and had contractors with us too. So um, it was a, you know, we were all over Kabul on the outskirts, on the in the middle of it. So um, and our job was to basically make sure they made it back. When you say contractors, do you mean like private military or? workers uh civilian contract so it was just civilians that would come out you know um experts in you know engineering construction and all that stuff like that figure out how to work these t barriers and uh and all this other stuff like that so um we'd be out there making sure they're okay they don't have to hold a rifle and then we'd have uh a couple of private contractors who were former you know military guys who would kind of help us integrate into you know, the city and, and uh, with the, the ANA and all that stuff like that. So we could kind of, you know, get our get our feet wet and all that stuff like that. So. So uh, what, what number deployment was that? Was that number one for you? Yep, that was one. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. And was it uh, a nine month gig? Yep. OK. Yep. I mean, that was the first formal deployment. If I remember it, you spent time in an OBGYN unit when you were a medic, right? <laughs> and count that as a deployment. <laughs> Yeah, I guess uh, the amount of stress, yes. Oh, then man. I would definitely count that one as a deployment, too, then. Yeah. That's the most stressful day of my life was going to an emergency <laughs> C-section with my wife and having to go through that process. Oh, I was like, man. oh, man, send me back to Baghdad. <laughs> yeah. So, Adam, it looks like you pulled up a, a map of the city of Kabul there. Yeah, I, I want us to get oriented. So, like, for those listeners, you know, there's plenty of people who are going to be able to close their eyes and know where everything's at. But, um, you know, I went, all of us went to Iraq except for Chuck here, so... 
you know, like what would somebody listening, you know, a non-Afghanistan vet or even for Afghanistan vets, what are some, you know, points of concern, like with this current thing going on, you know, this episode's going to come out right away. It's a little bit different of an episode. We're going to try to talk about current stuff and, and let that go. So like, you know, for anybody who's at home listening on the radio, what are some things that, that stand out to you about the area of operation that, you know, people could benefit from from hearing? Um, so there was something called the green zone in the, kind of the middle of the city or whatever. Um, and, you know, I don't want to go into too much because I don't want the FBI or, you know, the TSA, whatever, uh, <laughs> coming to my door. <laughs> but um, that just give you a hard time next time you try and fly. Is the way. <laughs> well, it's funny the way like, that works. <laughs> he's concerned with all this stuff, but I'm on Google Maps and I yeah. literally already see where all the NBCs are. It's like they've just, got everything marked. They're yep. rated four stars. I, I could <laughs> I could still draw where the green zone is for the most part right now. Um just looking at this map that you brought up on Google Maps. The Turkish Embassy, 4.2 stars on Google for 32 reviews. That's controversial. I heard the food there was really good. Um, cannot confirm, but... Why don't you... We should go back to that, because I really think that first review is worth sharing. The Embassy of Turkey. Uh, oh, man. Yo, my slime, I know you don't really know man done like that, but I'm looking to purchase something style. Just some grub, my driller. Barry Scott, what were you? Five stars two months ago. Dude, so that shows like we up until this recent incident, and it's awful. But we had no uh, casualties for eighteen months, right? Right. No, no deaths at least. Yep. Not, this is what guys are doing right now. Right. <laughs> They're deployed to Afghanistan. Barry Scott. Yeah, that's a, that's definitely a real person. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not a made up Google account. Oh, absolutely not. Um, but yeah, so like the middle of the city, green zone, right? It's like safe. That's where we had the checkpoints. And all that stuff, uh, pretty small square. A lot of the embassies and all that were on the inside. Uh, and then our compound was right outside of the green zone to the north by that road, main uh, road going north up to the airport. And then kind of anywhere outside of that green zone was kind of uh, like fair game for the most part. So Why do we keep deploying to countries who have some airport road that is probably just some shit show of IEDs? Um I don't know. I mean, it's I a chicken know. or the egg question. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if, like, the IEDs, I don't think, are, are there before we deploy. The yeah. airport road's probably there, but... I can always respect Will's going to keep me honest, right? Yeah, like, like right there with that, that yellow road where it goes left, we would always go right. And, um, yeah, and... Oh, that yep. uh, there's a yeah that traffic circle, I bet. I bet that... A lot of traffic circles. Um, yeah. That looks like it would have a checkpoint number... And then you said you would head east from there on your mm-hmm. on your usual. Yep. And then we'd skirt around the outside of it, go find one of the further gates. So we weren't going right there where, you know, the, basically the outskirts of that city are or a lot of the, the villages and all that. And then, yeah. So right by where that Abbey Gate is, we would go, even go past that, too. So, um, yeah, I haven't looked at a map of this in, since I left Afghanistan, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so this is this is weird to see that again. Yeah, and not on a Blue Force tracker. <laughs> yeah, or or the maps that we had hung up in the rooms with all the all the roads, uh, and I had to make sure when I was zooming or FaceTiming with my family and friends that I would keep that <laughs> out of the screen. Right. So where was this recent suicide bombing at uh, at the airport? I know somebody mentioned like a canal or something like that. It's hard for me to visualize outside of seeing those photos. So like Abbey Gate, ah, uh, God, where is that? It's kind of like by that corner. Go down a little bit, down to the left. So it's kind of like in that area. I can't remember the exact spot, but I remember that we would drive past it pretty frequently. We'd go into it. Are these so, canals right here that I'm highlighting? I believe so. I'm trying to think of where those canals were. 
So how how many people live in Kabul? All of them. All the. <laughs> I have no idea. It's like it's six it's, million, I think. Yeah, is it really? It's, I saw. It, it's it's a pretty big city, and it's 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 weird because there's pockets where there's like that. You see all these houses; they're dense, and then there's you know, some farmland or whatever, just open space, which is, you know, mostly mountains or, like, big old hills, and then um, then it goes back into being city. So it, it's it, it's it's kind of weird. It's like many cities that make up a big-ass city. Hmm, sure. So, How long would it take you to get from where you were at in the green zone? It looks like by sort of mileage, the airport is half the distance of the city north mm-hmm. of there. So, how long does it take to get across town from the middle? Oh, like up to the up to the airport. I mean, it depends on the time of day sure. too. Um, so, let's see. Our compound was. If we zoom in, like right about there. Yep. So that that was us. That was our entire compound, right there. Right across the street from the Supreme Court of Afghanistan is yep. what that looks like. And then uh, down the street, so... Ooh, there's the embassy of the United States. A month before we got there, right there at that crossroad, that was, that's a huge street. There was a huge IED that blew up. Uh, there's still a crater that is still there, and we mm-hmm. would drive over or through it or around it every time. So uh, I think one American was killed and, like, one NATO soldier was killed there, too. So, wow. But... Uh, Going from one side of the city to the other, it depends on the time of day. So, you know, it's like going to the west side of Madison, almost like 20 minutes, right. 15, 20 minutes. Right. Unless you're in, uh, you know, middle of the day, in which case it will take you about an hour or so. Traffic. What kind of traffic do they have on a couple of streets? Oh, fuck. <laughs> um, all the cars. All the cars. <laughs> all the cars. Uh, we would go to... We would go a little bit further southwest, and we would go to one of the uh, the Afghan, like their military compound or whatever, their police compound, and getting there, because we'd have to go in the day, right? Uh, we'd normally go out in the middle of the night. That's why we were called the night rats. Um, but during the day, when we'd go to old MOI, uh, it would, like, traffic would be bumper to bumper. You'd be moving, like, a foot at a time and all that stuff like that. So it was absolutely crazy going there. And then, of course, you know, if you've ever been to Afghanistan, I mean, I'm sure it was like that in Iraq, too, but there's no lines, you know, there's no traffic lights. It's just kind of get in where you fit in. Right, so. right. Did you ever see a flocks of sheep or herds of goats coming along the road? Oh, yeah, goats, uh, stray dogs. I mean, at every checkpoint that we had, there was stray dogs, and we named them all, of course, uh, and we loved them and gave them jerky and other trees. Uh, but yeah, I saw some goats or whatever, and then somebody actually offered to sell us a goat for, I think, like 50 bucks or 100 bucks. It's a good deal. We really thought about in it. In America? Then, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and I've been negotiating hard on that one. Like, 50 bucks here? You could have in ground pool for 50 bucks in Afghanistan. Yeah. Our squad leader shot that down right away. He's like, no, we're not, we're not getting a goat. It's like, we're not or we can't? He's like, we're not. Okay. Oh, okay. 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 Clearly missed the memo on some of the advanced medical training you definitely didn't sign a, a non-disclosure agreement for. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Exactly. Wink, wink. Exactly. So you were all over the north side of the city, it sounds like. The entire city. The entire we even city. went to the outskirts of the city. I mean, like Adam zooming out right now on the city. and I mean, we didn't go quite that far. But, um, yeah, so like where you see just the yellow roads... That's it. I mean, we would be up up there, all over the place, northwest, south, 
east. Um, so we were all over the city. I mean, we didn't have that many missions outside of the city limits, but there were enough, I guess. And it yeah. would like take us, excuse me, take us about an hour to get out there sometimes. So was it mostly mounted work, or did you guys ever dismount and get on your feet? No, it was it was a lot of. We only had one dismounted mission, and it was up to that ridge line north above the uh, uh, the, the city, so like south of the cursor, like right around there. So we we did a dismounted uh, mission around that area, which really sucked. I mean, I had fun, but some other people didn't like it. Um, but uh, mostly it was mounted just because we were inside of a city and all that stuff. And so, I mean, we had like, we made plans for dismounted missions and, and kind of had plans, you know, what if we need to, you know, ditch the, the Humvees or the MRAPs or whatever, but mostly everything was in the trucks, so... How much has that experience ruined the idea of hiking for you? If somebody's ever like, let's go hiking. I feel like for me, it's like, are we hiking to a deer stand? Are we hiking to like do something else? Or are we just out walking around in nature? Just for fun. Honestly, hiking. I mean, I, I still enjoy that. Driving, though. <laughs> I'm, I'm tired. Of, like if it's anything outside of two hours, I do not want to drive. And especially driving up like, you know, big hills or big mountains or whatever. If I feel the car start to move back it no, <laughs> that could be one of the questions we had. Is like, what has the military ruined for you about civilian life? Driving, <laughs> driving. For I saw, sure. I've seen too many memes where that <laughs> that sort of thing. Like, how has serving affected your life from a from a userec account or something like a recruiter? Mm. You know, has <laughs> gone really off the rails pretty badly <laughs> in a hurry. So, um, yeah, let's not repeat others' mistakes there. Well, but. well even uh, even uh, at the fire department, when we, you know, when I have to drive the ambulance, you know, we got a we got a patient or something like that. I feel like I'm back in Afghanistan because you know the rules do not apply, so I can do whatever I want, which feels great, feels awesome. But then it's like, uh, all right, now I got to go back to following the rules as soon as we drop the patient off. So it's like 20 minutes of bliss, and then that's it. Right. <laughs> so while you're doing these, you know, putting in all these miles on roads in Kabul. What, how are you living? You said you're a night rat. So do mm-hmm. night shift things. Yep. Uh, so, you know, we would have our, you know, we, we you know, we'd get our Warno, get our app board, you know, plan the mission, you know, Hey, we're going to go out at this time. And then, um, you know, everybody handled, you know, did everything else, you know, pre-mission differently. You know, I end up sometimes, a lot of times I would go to the gym beforehand, just kind of, you know, get my mind clear and all that. Um, and then go out, get the trucks ready, and then have pre-mission brief, and then head out. But so uh, this this all this whole process starts Monday morning, nine a.m. Or when when does your warno come in? When does your op order come in? When are you doing pre-mission checks? Is it all? Who knows? Is it T-minus? You know, <laughs> it, it, like, it, it was honestly all over the place. I mean, we would kind of get a tentative plan for like, all right, so this month we're gonna go here, here on this day and this time and all that stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, obviously stuff would be subject to change. Like they would shut down every road in the city for, you know, whatever amount of time. And then, you know, mission would get scrubbed. Like there was a IED that went off, God, maybe half a mile outside the gate. And so they're like, all right, all routes are black. So no one's going anywhere. And then there would be times that, you know, something like that would happen. And they'd be like, well, we still have to go because it's mission critical or something like that. So it's it would just depend. So. You know, there there was no like Monday through Friday, like nine to five type schedule. It was just all over the place. So it, it, it was there was no consistency really, which 
you know, was fine. But so from like flash to bang, what's center mass? You know, you find out that you have a mission. Somebody like kicks your rack, mm-hmm. you know, or is it like everything was pretty much planned? Like there wasn't that many. Um, like, hey, we need to go out in an hour. Like we need to go out right now. Everything was planned for the most part. So, which was nice because it, you know, kind of gave you some kind of a schedule. Um, but you know, we'd show up, uh, do the pre-mission brief, you know, with the slideshows, or do the op board and all that stuff. And then, um, like in the middle of the day, you know, we'd get a couple hours to kind of have some downtime, chill, you know, do whatever you got to do, eat food, and then get out to the trucks. Like maybe two hours before we got a, you know, before SP, and then. Um, you know, sit there, hang out, you know, shoot the shit with all the boys for a little bit, do the pre-mission brief, and then, you know, I'd get my medical brief, you know, that we'd get the commo brief, we'd get, you know, all this other stuff, like, you know, we'd go through command and signal, you know, all that good stuff, and then uh, mount up, and then head out. So, I mean, on a day that we had a mission, it was like, you're maybe getting ready, like, mentally for about eight hours before you're going out, because you kind of knew, and then you had, you know, all that stuff going on, so... um yeah. Would you roll out just a little before dusk or we I mean we changed the times up all the time. Like uh the the hard time was that we'd we'd be back before uh first prayers. So uh if we went past four like there's a couple of times we went past four o'clock just because we had to when we were so close to being done. It's like we don't want to come back out here, you know, in the middle of nowhere or whatever or or like we're almost there and it would kind of be one of those um, you know, met T C dependent things. <laughs> So, uh, but we would, we would definitely be back before four or 5 a.m. for the most part. We would try to, and then, you know, we'd vary our, um, uh, SP times or whatever. So it'd be anywhere from like, you know, uh, when, as soon as the sun went down to like maybe three hours before we had to be back in. So, I mean, we were constantly changing the times up. It just, it just really depended on what we were doing too. So. So you you had mentioned, uh, you know, an ID go off, all roads would be black. How often was it that something like that would happen? Uh, IEDs would go off fairly frequently, I guess. But we knew, like, especially with the political climate, that the Taliban weren't specifically trying to target us. Mm-hmm. It would be more individual players or, like, the Haqqani or, or like, ISIS-K or whatever. Right. So, um, so it would kind of depend... And, I mean, it was like if it was something that we needed to get done because we're on a timeline, then, you know, we would have to go out. So it wasn't always like if this happens, uh, we're not going out or, you know, so it would kind of depend on like the mission, what the like what the catalyst for that was. So it was a fluid thing. Right. Once again, met TC dependent. Right. Charlie, I want to maybe I'm the, you know, eyeball in the room, but. I'm kind of curious to learn more about the different sectarian factions that you referred to a couple times or individual mm-hmm. players. How much how much awareness did you really have? And can you get into some of the definitions of who those people are? Um so every I mean all the information that I have is uh from the you know the intel briefs that we got ahead of time and I mean I assume that it's pretty easy to google this shit. So I mean, Adam's got something yeah. up <laughs> on the screen right here, but I'm just really like, I'm curious about your impressions and, and those of your peers, you know, being like lower mm-hmm. enlisted. Right. What, you know, in that sort of strategic situation of lots of different 
tribal or sectarian entities like how much did you know as opposed to like the you know average american walking around uh, assuming that like afghanistan just might be the taliban and that's the bad guys right. and that's it uh so after getting all these intel briefs um that we would have you know almost you know we, we would definitely have them weekly we'd have them before every mission um there was stuff that i had heard that i didn't even know was a thing you know it's like Someone describing the color blue to you or telling you that's a real thing. And you're like, blue's a color? What? And um, so, like, ISIS-K, the Haqqani, who I had never heard of until we got there, really, um, and all these individual players, it's almost like, you know, you go to, you know, like, Oakland or L.A. or whatever, and you got these, you know, you got, like, the big gangs, but then you also have these individual cats trying to... set in the neighborhood. exactly. And, like, make their name or whatever, and... You know, and but then on the news, you know, they don't know how to classify it, so they just call it the Taliban, right, or Al Qaeda, or you know, or whatever. So it's like that's not accurate, but it's just easier to do that as opposed to, you know, making this whole explanation. So, right. um, yeah, there, I mean, there was a lot from these intel briefs that I learned that I, you know, had no idea about. It was just like my eyes got open to the to to the broader. Uh, aspect of everything and the strategic um things that were going on there so i mean there was just so much information that was being thrown at us that i had you know no idea that was a thing right like in saving private ryan how they use those sticky bombs or whatever for the tiger tanks apparently that's still being used today or like some form of that so hearing that i was like what <laughs> well they get yeah. a hold of all these old training manuals yeah and they're oh, yeah. still relevant yeah oh yeah and it's terribly effective Oh yeah, I mean, they, I mean, like the enemy or Taliban or who, whoever you know has had our our equipment has had nods. Like we don't own the night anymore, and figure that out very quickly over there. You know, they have nods, they have Peck fifteens, you know, they have all the stuff that we have. They just don't have them in mass like we do, but they have enough of them for it to be a um, have a tangible effect on you know the operations there, and you know. Hearing that one of your main um, one of your main things that you use, one of your main advantages, and that the enemy has it too, you're like, oh shit, okay, well that sucks. <laughs> so, well, it sounds like you'll have a lot to say when we kind of get into the more current events, you know, specifically the withdrawal from Afghanistan. But I, mm-hmm. I want to hear just a little bit more about kind of like the end of your last deployment, how you wrapped up those last few months, and then what it was like coming home. Uh, so. Excuse me. Uh, so COVID obviously like put a damper on everything. There was like maybe a month or, or two months where, you know, we didn't do anything. We kind of just stayed in the compound, planned, planned missions. Missions got canceled like the night of, the day of. Uh, so COVID really did a, did a number on everything. Um, and I mean, it was kind of nice when we started doing missions again because then I could like the Afghans were deadly afraid of COVID. And there would be a guard or someone coming up to me, and you know, if I didn't like him, I would tell the interpreter, I'd "Be like, hey, Ahmad, tell this motherfucker I got COVID," and he would tell him, and then he would back off and look like I just told him that I had the plague, <laughs> or like I was gonna cough AIDS into his mouth or something like that. So, I mean, like it was nice, but the last couple of months were that, and then hurrying up trying to finish all the missions, and then toward the I think like the last month or two. Uh, we were starting to prepare to come home, and it was just 
like it started, it, it was odd. It was, it was like more tense because in the beginning, you know, kind of tense because you're like, all right, this is all unfamiliar to me. And then the middle of the deployment, you're like, all right, we're in a groove, like whatever the world can fall. But, you know, we've been doing this. We're, you know, we're good. And then the end, you start getting close. You're like, all right, more shit is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, I want to make it home in one piece. I want everyone else to make it home in one piece. Like, and so it, it started to get a little bit more tense toward the end. And then uh, we ended up leaving and it was good. So, but I, I just remember that last month, it was just uh, every time before we left the compound, I was like, all right, all right, don't die. <laughs> don't die. Right. Okay, good. <laughs> so I remember we had something similar, but like on our last roll in, uh, one of the platoon leaders decided to, they wanted to take their tank and run down a bunch of shacks on the side of the road, which is a no-go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, then we had to go back out and do a damage assessment and pay out the civilians. And I remember at that point, I'm like, dude, this is a mission we're not supposed to be on. This is going to be the one. <laughs> yeah. And up until then, you know, you're just so emotionally numb and disconnected that it's like you've accepted your fate. But then mm-hmm. I, when it comes to that, you're like, wait, no, I was supposed to have made it. Yep. <laughs> this is extra. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because I mean, I remember there was one uh, in the middle of the deployment where at this point, you know, like you said, you know, you're numb to it. You're like, all right, you know, been there, done that. But we went to this one, uh, this one hill that was you know, uh, for lack of better terms, Indian country. Right. And we know, and like, I'm, I'm, you know, putting a Humvee in like different gears, shifting gears. She's chugging up the mountain and all that stuff like that. And we see white kites flying everywhere. We're like, okay, I know what that means. We see all these indicators that we had been you know, told about. We're like, okay, yeah, we're being watched. Cool. And you know, all that stuff. And, uh, that was, I think the first time other than, God, I think maybe like the first two or two or three times we'd been out that I was like nervous. I was still locked in and whatever, but I was nervous. I'm like, oh shit. Pucker factor sitting. Oh, dude, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Butthole was super tight. <laughs> and um but I just remember that was the only time I was kinda like, Oh, oh fuck. Oh, this is it. Uh oh, please don't please don't let it happen. Okay. And so and then after that, you know, everything was fine. It was like downhill. As we were going downhill. No pun intended. <laughs> How how many days was that from uh, Expo when you had that experience? Oh, dude, that was like right in the middle. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that, just... uh, yeah. So that was right. I mean, every other time we'd go out to the middle, of, you know, of nowhere on the outskirts of the city, you know, you'd be finding these, you know, these these A and A guys in their in their huts, you know, just high off all types of you know heroin and all that stuff like that, and you know, not paying attention and you see dudes in black man jams across the street waving their hands at you, you know, making the gun signals at you and stuff. And I was like, whatever. But for some reason going up that hill, I don't know, <laughs> in the middle of, uh, at the the edge of the city, that was like, a, that was that was the pucker factor for me in the middle of the deployment. So I don't know. It was weird. It's a volatile position to be in going up that hill, especially <laughs> struggling to get up there. Oh, yeah. You know? Vulnerable, sure. Yeah. yeah. All those tiny turns and all that stuff like that, because I know if we have to dismount, like, you know, we're screwed. Right. How familiar were you with that neighborhood? It was just a... That, uh, that, that time, that was the first time we'd been up there. Yeah, for sure. And then That's... when we got up there, too, the A&A, they were all jittery, and they were they were not acting, like, the heuristics were, were off. Like, they right. were, they did not look normal. Afghanistan National Army. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Afghanistan National Army. Yeah. Or and the A and P. I mean, I know there's a difference, but I just lumped them all into one sure. at a certain point. So, what was your impression of them generally? You said that at times they could be jittery, and it seemed like they were high often. Uh, so on the outskirts of the city, like you know, not toward the 
like not near, you know, the big players or whatever. Um, you know, you could tell they just didn't give a shit because, you know, so, I mean, some of these guys haven't been paid in months, you know, and they were living where they were working. So, I mean, you know, I don't really blame them, kind of, sort of, but it's like, all right, well, you're not professional. And then even, but even when we'd go inside, the, you know, we'd be in the green zone, you know, these guys, um, <laughs> their their weapons would just be kind of be slinging everywhere. Or they would just look like the dumpy private that you see. And you're like, all right, you have no idea what you're doing. I mean, I saw one guy take his barrel of his AK on the edge of the city and like start swatting at kids. I was like, oh, that's new. <laughs> so, I mean, it. I think that's a problem we run into. I think with the, the Iraqi army and things like that, it was not that different. It's that they just there. It's a different fighting force like America. Mm-hmm. I think then you respect the people that came here and decided to settle this place. Yeah. We're fucking around. And that when we go to all these four nations and you try to train them up, it's just different. Yep. I think have, Charlie makes a good point when he says that like they live where they work. Yeah. You know, not even not even when we're not overseas on a combat deployment, we're in a you know, probably a southern state, <laughs> like sequestered <laughs> away in a you know, a little like bubble of knuckleheads that decided to join up. Called Barstow, California. Or That's yeah, or Killeen, Texas. You know, gross. Uh, but <laughs> but then we're just rotating through for some three, six, nine, twelve month period of time. So right. for us, like that, we know what the end set's going to be, right? And we're going to turn it over, and it is what it is. These dudes, they don't, they don't know, man. Yeah. Nope. Well, yeah, their grandma's like in in her apartment on the same street where they have to report for duty. Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody right. knows what they look like, and right. Um. Yeah. So you said these individual players, and then it sounds like there's a like. Just to paint a little more thorough picture, it sounds like you would know who plays in which neighborhood. Like, oh, that's, that's the Four Street Bros over there, and that's the. Uh, or is it? Did you have that sort of granularity? I mean, like, I I didn't like it was it was pretty much. I mean, it sounds really fucked up to say, but like, pretty much, if you weren't wearing the same, you know, uniform as me or you know someone in NATO, you know, you were not a friend, and I didn't really take the time to. Uh, differentiate between those, and because I was like, oh, it's a little too much effort. I got too many things to worry about. So, yeah, like, your, yeah. Your, your unit there. Yeah. So if you didn't, if you didn't look like me, like you know, I didn't care. You know, whatever. You're not my friend. And you know, I'd smile, kind of whatever, and make nice. But then that lasted for about what a month, and then after that, I was just kind of a dick for the most part. Um, unless like the individual guys that would come up to us or whatever. Like this one guy tried to take my gloves, whatever. He's like, oh, he, you know, making a little, little pointing, pointing at my my Oakley gloves, and I let him try one on, and then he tried to walk away with it and uh, almost dropped him. <laughs> I was like, nope, nope, that's mine. No, 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 no. You're already falling for tourist yep. traps, man. Well, I gave him a rippy. I was like, hey, man, I'll give you a rip it. Here you go. You give me the glove, I'll Cheated. give you a rip it. Now that's a go. currency right there. Oh yeah. Right mm-hmm. there. Oh yeah. Dude, I'm so bummed. Quick Trip used to carry it in Wisconsin. Now they don't anymore, and what? I don't know where I'm supposed to get my rippets at. Woodman's. There we go. I tried one as soon as I got home, got gut rot instantly. What you guys have out there? Do you have the red flavor? Was that it? We had so it was all the sugar free stuff. So it was the red one and the orange one. And I would drink the orange ones like they were water. Were they like the little ones? Yep, the, the big, little, yeah. little tiny ones. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's oh, the yeah. problem you run into is you get those over there, and then you come back home, and for a buck, you get the big old sixty <laughs> ounce <laughs> ones. You're like, we're taking a ride <laughs> today. Right. I'm sorry, future cardiologist, that's going to be in my life, but. I'm trying to complicate things for you in my 30s. Yeah. I can see my heartbeat. Uh. I don't know how, but I don't. I, I don't think I ever had a rip it. Why? I had to have avoided it. Oh, really? Really? I think I was a medic in name only. 
You're just the, the most unhealthy guy. I was there to patch people up, but all Same. the other stuff, it's like, yep. I don't know. We had a really dirty <laughs> medic in my platoon. Like He got in trouble for not ever putting sheets on his bed in his in his barracks room. Oh, that's, that's funny you said My roommate did not put sheets on his bed for the entire deployment, too. That's not cool. I don't think that's, I don't think that's yeah, hygienic. But Anyway, <laughs> hey, tell me about how did you get out of uh, Afghanistan? How did you get out of the green zone? How did you get back to... Uh, so, you know, of course we had a party with near beers that they had there, you know, the non-alcoholic beers, you know, we all got super wasted on non-alcoholic beers, <laughs> um, and then had a good time the last night and then had everything packed up, got on some of the birds and then, God, where did we go? I think we flew straight to Bagram. Yeah. Yeah. We went straight to Bagram, sat there for... Was it a Chinook? No, uh, thankfully I have not had to ride in a. Nope, I did one time I think. Nope, just Blackhawks. Just kidding. Practiced in a Chinook, but um, went straight to Bagram. Sat there in like you know little bomb shelters that they have or whatever, quarantined for whatever, and then. Um, so you had to you had to do a COVID quarantine. Yeah. How long was it coming out of country? I think it was still two weeks. So we were sitting there in these like condemned bomb shelters for like two weeks with everyone else you know they had barbed wire around our area it's like okay and we could only go to chow at certain times and all that other stuff um so we did that and then um after that we had to wait i think another week and we still didn't know what flight we were getting on what time exactly kind of changed a little bit and then um i think we went straight from there to kuwait i can't can't remember do you remember the airframe Oh, it was a, oh God, it was one thirty. It was terrible. I remember it was a terrible flight because I had never been so hot, so mm-hmm. uncomfortable in my entire life. Uh, it was like over a hundred degrees in this freaking C-130. We're sitting there. We could not, I like, I, I couldn't move my legs for the entire, for the entire flight. I think it was, it was a couple hours. What too. were you carrying? Uh, I, God, I just had my aid bag cause I didn't want to part with that. And then, um, I had my just like little brother with or my my bag, whatever with um like my computer and you know all the flight itinerary stuff you need and you know random clothes and shit like that. So and you were just moving with like two squads or what? Nope. So uh, luckily when uh, when we were leaving, they were kind of doing that drawdown, so they were sending people away at random times and. Uh, us and the other squad from the 105th, we were the last ones to leave, like, Afghanistan. So, like, our deployment didn't get cut short, I guess, thankfully. <laughs> and um, But it was still packed in that, in that C-130, and it was hot. Like, I, I went down to touch my bag, and the uh, the lock that I had on it burned my finger. <laughs> like, it was, it was that bad. And I think, I think it was, like, one or two guys that pissed themselves on the flight because they physically could not get up to go to the little, little John or whatever in the front of the plane. So... That's that was where it's paid off, right? You smash one before you walk up on the back. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> then thirty minutes in, you're like, "Oh, that was a mistake." I Dude, I, I made sure I gave all the boys uh, all the sleep meds. You know, the yeah. Dramamine, all the Zofran, everything. I like before we left. Uh, thankfully, the team medic for the SFAB was real cool. He was like, "Hey, man, you know what do you need for the flight home?" I was like, "All the sleep drugs, right? All the Zofran that you got." <laughs> and I made like goodie bags for all the guys, and I gave them to them. And people were just pretty much passed out for the most part. One of my guys, uh, he moans in his sleep and he makes noises. He goes, ah. 
So he was, so he was right next to me, and I could even even in the C one thirty, I could hear him. It's like you motherfucker, like dear dear lord, no good deed goes unpunished, <laughs> huh? It was all right. He 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 wasn't awake for most of the flight, so that was good. He felt he felt all right. Didn't vomit, so which is what I was worried about because I was right next to him. Miracles of modern medicine. <laughs> right? I remember back in the day, the Nintendo DS had just come out, and you could connect via Bluetooth. So like you've got oh. all your bags on your lap and everything sitting on the netting, but you could hold your Nintendo DS above your bag, and we're all playing Tiger Woods against each other the whole fall. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we definitely didn't have that experience. <laughs> oh, man, when I saw that picture of those 600 Afghani civilians on that C-130, that was the first thing that came to my mind. Yep. I was like, it has got to be hotter than shit in there. Mm-hmm. I know that feel, bro. You know, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you hit the ground in this... Uh, Military transport in yep. Kuwait. Yep. I think how we're long? in RF John, I want to say. Yeah, AJ. Yep. And you hang out there for how long? Oh. God, uh, I can't even remember. Uh, we had to do the COVID thing again. And I think they isolated us as, as well. So I think it was luckily like, I mean, it was it was really nice because uh, I had heard of horror stories because my team leaders and my squad leader had both had uh, previous deployments. And so they had told us, you know, this is the smoothest that it has ever gone. I was like, oh, that's good to hear. It doesn't feel that way, but With awesome. COVID quarantine yeah. included. So they were super conscious about, um, excuse me, uh, super conscious about, you know, isolating people. We don't want everyone to get COVID. So because, like, when we had came into Kuwait, you know, we were in those big, like, 800 billion man tents or whatever and it was like they spread us out all over so and thankfully because of covid they're like no we don't want you guys to get covid you guys are going to stay together oh no i guess so did that sat there for a little bit and then got on the flight back home i like hearing that that they that they were so diligent with those precautions because you know if i remember correctly part of the biggest loss of life in the U.S. or of U.S. citizens in the flu pandemic in the 1900s, like 1917 through 1919, where it was soldiers trying to fight in World mm-hmm. War One, But, you know, so even then the U.S. kind of kind of dodged a bullet. But I'm glad that, you know, with those congregating moving parts, that oh, yeah. it was taken seriously. But it, from there you got on, what, the Omni charter plane? Uh, I think... Yeah, no, I think it was Omni on the way back. On the way there, we flew Delta because some there was like some mechanical mishap or whatever. But yeah, we had Omni on the way back. Thankfully, on the way to Afghan or to Kuwait, uh, I got bumped up to first class because I got stuck on baggage claim or the baggage oh, yeah. detail. Yeah, I'd, so I was super happy about that. But on the way back, I'm like, you know what? I was like, I don't give a shit. I'm going home. <laughs> like, right. dude, you can put me in a cargo bay. I don't give a fuck right as long as we're going home. Yeah. I was like, I don't care. The honey bucket. <laughs> so, and of course, more goodie bags full of sleep drugs. So we, I mean, I was knocked out, I think, for most of the flight home because we stopped in Bulgaria, Ireland, and then we went to Baltimore and then finally got back to uh, to Hood. So. Didn't anyone meet you at Fort Hood? Any family members or friends? Oh, or? no, no. No. So no. what was the, did they throw you in transit bar- barracks and then? Uh, we went to, so like the barracks that we stayed in, they, there was another, there was more units getting ready to deploy. It was like the new nice ones they had in North Fort Hood. And they put us in like these, uh, got the barracks that were by like the track and all that stuff like that. 
Uh, and then they had all that like sequestered off for COVID. Like they were super, like we got child delivered to us. We had our own gym, like everything was sectioned off. Like I mean, honestly, like it was, I preferred it that way. And then, um, I mean, it was cool. Like we had our own like little freaking small world that we did not leave and we can get Grubhub to us and all that stuff. And then we didn't have to do anything because, you know, they were worried about COVID. So it was basically just like two, three weeks of just hanging out, working out and, you know, playing Madden. So, yeah. So transit was about a six week process at this point. Just yeah. Being. Yep. Just moving. Yeah. Roughly that. Yeah. So three different quarantines. Oh yeah. Wow. Well, so like, yeah. Cause when we got to Kuwait, they was actually a fairly quick process. Like, I mean, they were like, you know, drill sergeant yelling at people for not having their masks on or being six feet apart or whatever. And they had us all in a tent. You know, if you were on the same flight, same deployment or whatever, you were in this tent and you kind of sat there. And that w- actually, that wasn't a two-week uh, quarantine. That was, I think, a little bit shorter. Can't – it was so long ago. <laughs> but, right. I mean, every step that we went, we had to do a quarantine. So, yeah, it was about six weeks, I want to say. Yeah. I mean, a part of me thinks, like, isn't the military a quarantine? Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, These these dudes smell. They're gross. They're nasty. I don't want to touch them. So, like... Well, there's four listeners that'll know. They're going to delete the podcast now. Like, dude's talking (laughs) shit. He's got to bust out my hygiene, man. Shower. What were you saying, Cole? Oh, I was just... When you guys were out in country and COVID and everything was going on, were you guys wearing masks out there? Unfortunately, yes. And really, that was like right around the time when we started going back out when it started getting hotter. Yeah. So there were, it was like getting up to like eight, like even at nighttime too, which mm-hmm. is weird because uh, I would get up to like 80, 90 degrees and shit like that. And then, you know, we were out doing missions when there was snow on the ground. It was like 20 degrees or whatever. And then we go from that to, you know, sweating our balls off all the time. Right. There was this, uh, this, this British engineer that was attached to us. And this motherfucker would literally spray bleach in his face. Like, spray bleach. Because he was that worried about COVID. So That's how you do it right there. Yeah. I was, I was like, man, you're definitely <laughs> killing the COVID. You're killing a lot of other things, too. But, yeah, you're killing the COVID. Yeah. I thought all British people were really intelligent. Some, yes. We, were, we, 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 uh, we had a couple of Brit engineers with us, and they were really cool. But this guy, I mean, he was cool. It just I'd never seen someone spray bleach like straight bleach in their face like no dilution just straight bleach just pretty in his face. yeah <laughs> so but yeah it, we had to wear masks and it and had to wear like the nitro gloves underneath our you know no like, yeah that was what we were supposed to do i don't think but, we knew enough yet i mean you came home in what mid 2020 so like at that time we still were concerned with surfaces yeah yeah i i uh I can't speak for anyone else, but I did not do that because I'm like, I'm not going to wear two <laughs> no, layers of gloves no, in no. 80 degrees. Fuck that. <laughs> right. You got your full kit on, got everything else yeah. on. Breathing your own breath is hot Mm-mm. enough, you know? No. Yeah, I wasn't doing that. Were you guys at least able to pull a gator up over your face instead of actually putting on a, like a surgical Yeah, mask? I mean, like oh, okay. even, even on even on the compound, too, like you could wear, um, you know, you could wear your gator or, or wear like a little schmog or whatever mm-hmm. like yeah. that. You didn't need to wear the N95s. Just something okay. needed to be covering your face. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, okay. Which... Still didn't make sense because it makes yeah never mind but yeah so we could we didn't have to wear N95s. Well, we had plenty of dudes that wore a gator up over their face and stuff. Like most right. of our interpreters would, they didn't want to be seen when they oh, were out of in the community. Not. So 
Yeah. And part of that's already happening. Yeah, and there was a couple of guys who, you know, they looked like they were men of the night. You had no idea who the fuck they were. I was like, oh, no, I saw you before you put that on. I know who you are. <laughs> so. Covered up. So when did you finally get back to Wisconsin? August 14th. And what what was your homecoming like? Uh, So our dates kept changing because they had initially told us that, you know, you guys could be extended out to November. And they said anywhere out to November. And so, you know, we had no idea. And, you know, um, it was like, all right, well, anywhere from here to November? Like, yeah. Like, do we have a set date? No, not really. And so we didn't find out till like, almost right before we left. Um, so my wife had to had her bachelorette party because we got married, you know, on paper before the uh, before the deployment. And then so she had her bachelorette party and she kept trying to rework it. I was like, you know, what, just schedule it. I'm sure I'm not going to come home the weekend that you have it. Sure enough, we come home the weekend that she has her <laughs> her bachelorette party. <laughs> so uh, my parents. Please my, tell me you busted out of a cake on her. Came out. Just let it all out. <laughs> Yes, that's exactly what I did. You were the the man of the night for her. That's exactly what I did do in theory. No, I did not do that. No. (laughs) No, my uh, my parents, my uh, baby sister and my kid met me at the uh, armory when they picked me up. So um, it was it was really cool. Um, And then I got to kind of just process everything at the house. You know, Mm -hmm. my mother-in-law was there, too. Uh, My aunt-in-law, I guess, was there as well. And then my dog. So. Um, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't too much, you know, so I was able to kind of digest things in steps because like they were waiting for us at the house. My parents, my baby sister, my kid picked me up at the uh, armory. So it was like steps of, OK, cool. I'm home now as opposed to everything all at once. So right. I'm kind of glad that happened because I would have been bawling like a baby back bitch. And as much as Joe's hate that, <laughs> I would have hated every bit of that whole thing. But it's better, arguably. You know, it's, I think it's better like ours. We just came home off the flight and. Three hours later, I was driving to Los Angeles, and I was like, "This is a bit different." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Driving was uh, was definitely weird. So, but yeah, it was nice to have this kind of escalation in terms of being surrounded with family. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and that emotional energy. Yeah, because I mean, I was cool. Like when I saw my parents and all that stuff. Like, I mean, you know, you know, you're with your boys, and they're all making jokes. Like, hey, your wife's over there getting drunk somewhere else, having her bachelorette party. Guess what? I'm gonna be fucking my wife tonight. It's like cool. I've waited, you know, over nine months. I'm like, what's another two days? Right, right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, no. So I, I, I was fine with it. Then what the ha- what the National Guard have for you to do? Uh, we have the Yellow Ribbon event. So it's like a they have one to prepare you and your family and your loved ones and all that for the deployment. Uh, and then they have uh, two separate Yellow Ribbon events to prepare you for you know reintegration post deployment. Yeah. Like this is what you're going to experience, and these are the resources that you have, and all that stuff like that. So I mean, it's 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 real good. But I mean, you know, anyone who's been in the military, you know, you you know, you see that, and you're like, yeah. dude, I just I, I don't want to do that. I just want to be home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to sit through eight hours of slideshows. I mean, there was a lot of good information that that I took from it, though, um, resources that I got. So it was nice. But for the most part, I was like. I just don't want to do army shit for a while. Like I'm good. Reverse SRP. What was the, yeah. Yeah. What was the most valuable part of that? Uh, the military one source was really good. Uh, they have like a laundry list of um, 
of resources for you. So, I mean, you know, you're dealing with X, Y, and Z, like anything from like, I don't know how to cook fucking spaghetti to like, I have these major PTSD issues and I need a fucking service dog. Every, you know, everything in that and everything in between and financial troubles and all that stuff like that. So, I mean, it was, it was really good. It was valuable, but you know, I th- happened a little too soon. I think I was like, I just, uh, I just want to sit on my couch, play games, drink, and uh, hang out with my family and my dog. So, <laughs> so did you get a chance to do some of that? Yeah. Um, mostly went through my own private health insurance for, for like the mental health stuff. But because, um, I mean, everything else was luckily, you know, I was really lucky. had a good support system back home. So I was set up very well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I definitely utilized some of the military resources that they put out to us when we came home. So. One of the differences there I know is, especially during COVID times, is that community mental health providers had no openings. You know, you're looking at six, mm-hmm. eight weeks until you can really get an appointment. And that was one of the things I think, you know, VA had ready. They could see a little bit sooner. But, um, you know, the choice is everybody's. But I think that's the hard part is like, you know, you come home, and you want to use your private insurance and do it that way. But then all of a sudden they say, you know, kick rocks for eight weeks. That'd yep. be tough. I mean, well, part of that, too, is, you know, like there's like. You know, they tell you, hey, mental health is, is all good. Like, you're fine. You know, whatever you say is not going to be held against you, you know, in your in your career. And, you know, they say that, but you still don't believe it. So it's That's like paper trail. Exactly. So I don't want to go through the VA. I'd rather go through my own private insurance. So that way there is no trail that cannot be accessed without my consent. So, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for the other guys, but I mean, that's that's the route that I went just just in case. In you terms know? of your career, that's definitely probably the smarter route for sure. Oh yeah, and I think ultimately it's just like go get go get what you need. Yeah. Go get go get it from wherever you're comfortable getting mm-hmm. it from. I, you know, even as a VA provider, like I never cared. Yeah, like as long as you're getting what you need. If you don't get it there, come get it here if if you can. My but, perspective is that like you're all the people who want data on you already have it, and yep. they're sharing it. You know, <laughs> for some kind of like contact point per you know price per contact point that they have on your data point times whatever like and i think this stuff is well documented you know i haven't watched the cambridge analytica documentary the facebook one but you know it's strange like i don't know how long ago but it's now common for me to use my debit card and then Mm -hmm. like i don't have an email receipt but i know that that information is going somewhere and it and it's not just targeted ads anymore it's just i'm like oh man all my transactions whatever but like I don't want to get too far off in the weeds. My point is, I don't I don't think uh, mental health treatment should have any sort of stigma. And I am aware that you know it does exist, like even amongst peers in the military. But I'm like, dude, just just get your help. Go take your medicine. Either way, you know I'd hate to see something escalate out of out of somebody's fear that somebody else is going to say something when there's regulations to protect against that and. You know, Visa knows, you know, whatever, oh, yeah. you, you know, everybody else, your stuff's out there and it's, but it just, you just have to normalize it. Yeah. But I mean, if I didn't, if I didn't have another option, if I, if I didn't have my own private health insurance through work, I would have u- utilized the VA, but I did. So, um, cause I remember talking to a buddy of mine, uh, and he didn't have, uh, private health insurance or whatever. So he actually had to go use the VA, which is, which is great, which is what it's there for. But I just, I had an option. So I was like, all right. And that's just in case. And that's fair. You know, and people like that's, you know, good for you to have that access and and the ability to make that choice. But for people who might, you know, guys might have barriers, whatever. Yeah. Guys on active duty, whatever. The vet center, 
uh, you know, in our area, we're lucky to have a vet yeah. center as kind of an, an in-between resource that isn't directly connected to the VA. But, you know, I definitely wouldn't want to. Right. Because, I mean, they, they have uh, parts uh, in the VA or aspects where it's like they don't have to report it. They don't have to record it. Right. Where it's just between you and the person you're talking to for the most part. I would I would I would say. Yeah. And, your, and your commander's not going to be able to access. Your okay. Medical right. That's especially not in, in an active duty installation, if especially if you get a command referral for behavioral health. Mm-hmm. They're going to be apprised of that process. And the big challenge that happened is the reason all people are even skeptical is back in the 80s and 90s, commanders were using behavioral health as a way to get the problem children out of their their companies. And so behavioral health, they knew that if somebody got diagnosed with a personality disorder, they'd be kicked out. Your career is done. And it could affect clearance like we know some of those risks. And so because of some of those bad actors back in the 80s and 90s, now we're all living with it and the stigma's there. And so mm-hmm. I've seen plenty of active dudes that just drive off post and get their care. And if that's what works for them, I'm I'm supporting it. Yep. Absolutely. You know? And if you got to go to your command team, then you, you, you ask your provider and say, hey, what could I say that could put me in trouble? You know, like if I come in and share certain things, like mm-hmm. where are the limits? Because what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll maybe pull some of that content out and I'll, I'll talk the process of it instead. And so you might save yourself sharing some stuff. I mean, I appreciate that. There's a lot of good advice there, actionable, pragmatic stuff. I just really experience that as like perceiving a gap. You know what I mean? Because I feel like there's this, there's the case, I, the place we should be at is like, hey man, mental health is a real thing. Mm-hmm. These are accumulated traumas. This population, especially, should have you know a different attitude towards it. So, um. People are trying. I mean, if you look at like um, all the different non-VA or non-governmental options that are out there, look at Gary Sinise's foundation. He's standing up an entire network of mental health providers. Like, and and do I think the VA should be privatized? You know, that's my personal thought, and I don't think it should be. I think it's a great resource, but Mm -hmm. if there if there are other ways for people to get care, I think those should be available and let people pick and choose. And if the VA is offering the better product, they're offering the better product. If Sinise Foundation offers a better product, you got to beat them. Facts. I just, again, if there's a barrier that exists in someone's head that whatever it is that, that you know, is going to preclude them from reaching out and trying to contact a resource because of the way they think someone might think about them, that's a problem. And we should work to. And, and I do think it is getting better, you know, coming off active duty. I left active duty last year and. Uh, I had uh, I had gone to see behavioral health and I had the full support of uh, my command team behind me. You know, there's obviously the guys in the company you hear whispers and stuff like that of people. You know, you know, he went to see behavioral health, whatever. But as far as the command team went, it was never used against me. Was still able to operate and do everything that I needed to do, and they have my back. So it definitely is getting better. That's good to hear. I can say, from sort of a public safety you know, volunteer firefighter perspective, having gone through a few formal trainings just to earn, you know, the certifications around that, there was a mental health component. They called it stress first aid. And I really liked the way they did that. They sort of incorporated the concept of critical incident stress debriefs, which I'm fond of just from both a process improvement standpoint and creating that space for people to talk about any issues they might have. And then just the way they have this escalating seven-step process to do stress first aid aligns really well with the training that I've had for like mental health, critical incident uh, intervention training and stuff like that. And really, it's just it's just really important people skills, I think, in certain spaces and understanding that that stuff is everywhere and it happens, especially in traumatic environments. Normalizing 
getting a little extra help to deal with traumas in sort of like a positively correlated way, I think is yeah. an important thing to do. Yeah. And all the data shows, like I think commanders are getting better data to action on when it comes to referring some of their guys, uh, guys and gals over to behavioral health that like, we know that PTSD, the soonest, sooner that it's treated, the sooner that it's addressed, PTSD might not actually develop. Right. Somebody might just have some, you know, some kind of acute stress that they work their way through. And so I think can, commanders are more incentivized. Let's get these people treatment right away because then maybe I can retain this person and they can continue to, you know, fill my roles and, and exactly. do those things and be helpful. And I think that it's just different because before, I think, especially in Vietnam, you know, anybody had any combat stress or whatever they were calling it at the time, you'd discard those people. And I think that we're getting a little bit smarter and realizing that somebody goes through a 12 week bout of therapy, they might be all right. They might yeah. cope okay. And in fact, like, the longer you stay in some of those military, highly supportive environments, you're better off. It's it's the folks that you get out right away. Like the guard, I can imagine that creates a little bit of an awkward thing. But in active duty, just when you all of a sudden disappear, you've you've disconnected from your entire network. Connectedness is the 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 intervention. That's the solution to most of these problems. And when you disconnect people, it's hard. So it's I was am curious. Like I don't know if you want to uh, take us down that road. Like when you come back. What's different now that you're home? Like you still have access to your peer networks or don't you? I mean, where's, how is that? Uh, so it's actually funny you bring that up because, uh, so me coming back, my transition was a little bit harder than I thought. Uh, you know, I thought it was going to be this easy, seamless transitional, you know, thing. And um, I, I had more struggles with it, you know, than I did or th than I thought. Like, you know, uh was it the first within the first week of me being home and driving i um i accidentally my kid was in you know the the front seat and i accidentally slapped her in the face because you know i'm used to my gunner's leg being there because i saw you know big old semi and just instinctively just bam i was like oh oh i am so sorry isn't oh. that like the mom seat belt the mom <laughs> yeah, seat belt yeah. comes out or the dad seat belt just came out which is normal, but, you know, if you've ever been in a Humvee, right, there's that big old gap, and you can't just reach out to the person in the passenger seat, and if you just reach at, like, the face level of an 11-year-old, <laughs> uh, that's the leg of your gunner, and that's what I just instinctively did, just, and I was like, oh, bunk, yep, smacked my kid in the face, my bad, <laughs> so, um, so kind of going through that and, you know, being around big crowds and big groups and stuff like that, um, you know, I thought that was not going to be an issue. And then it took a little bit for that to kick in. And, you know, even being in the guard, like you said, uh, you know, you know, you're with your guys for a year and a half every minute of every day. And then all of a sudden, you know, you guys go back to your corners of the state. You know, I some guys I still haven't seen. And like my my roommate overseas, I've seen him. I, I can count on, count on one hand. You know, I've seen them a handful of times. Yeah. Certain other guys, you know, I've, I've called them, reached out, you know, vice versa. But um, uh, my team leader was active. He was in the 82nd. And, you know, he said this is pretty similar to how it was, you know, when he deployed, you know, his last couple of times. You know, he's like, it's sad, but, you know, you have this deployment. You know, you have this super intimate relationship with these guys. And even in the guard, you know, you're with them. And then... You guys are off doing your own thing because you all have lives to live. You know, you got yeah. your own civilian careers and families and shit to deal with. So um, it it still it felt really weird for for a good minute. You know, just kind of felt isolated uh, until, you know, you start reaching out or whatever. So it, it was it was a very awkward, awkward transition period, I guess, is the best way to put it. And yeah. this was 
This was when? Oh, fuck. It's like right away. <laughs> so <laughs> August of... I, I think... Okay, so I think like the first... One year ago? Uh, yeah, right? so August I think... August 14th of 2020. So I think like August, I was good. I was still, you know, that honeymoon phase, like... I'm happy to be home. I can drink whiskey again. I can eat real food that isn't going to give me gut rot. Or, you know, I don't have to, you know, get ready for a mission because I ended up having three months off of work, you know, with leave and then all the vacation I had, you know, compiled. So I was just kind of hanging out doing, you know, whatever I wanted to do. Right. And which is great. Gives you time off, but also gives you time to kind of, you know, have nothing to do and then also think. Going and, from 100 miles an hour to zero oh, miles yeah. an hour pretty yeah. fast. It's like, all right, well, I had this, this net to do. I have, I know on this day we have to go out and do this. And then it's like, well, shit, what do I do now? Drink and play video games? Yeah. Drink and go to the gym? Sure. Why not? So just making that transition was was, was kind of weird. It was kind of off. And then having, like, not having all my guys within like arm's reach or spit's reach or whatever it was just kind of weird. It was like, I can't look over and smell, you know, the guys I'm used to smelling, if, if that makes any sense. So it was just, it, yeah, it was unfortunately really it does. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. <laughs> <laughs> but true. Yeah. I could still pick their scents out. If you put, if you blindfolded me, I'd be like, Oh, yep. Yep. Oh, that's comfort. Ugh. How was it? You know, everybody else comes back from deployment and, you get to see everybody's faces, you know, you, then you go from deployment, you come back and everybody's got their face covered. And for me, I know when I was deployed, like I wanted to see somebody's face so I could make an assessment of that person. When I came home, I got the freedom to do that. And so for me, I don't know. I don't know. You come back and everybody's wearing face coverings for COVID. Was that weird? Was it just normal? Was it anything? Uh, with the face coverings, I mean, like it, it, it was kind of weird, but you know, I was still over there when COVID happened. So some of the guys like, you know, every, everyone was wearing masks and all that. So, I mean, there's, you know, you start studying heuristics and all that, you start reading all these other tells, right? So, I mean, like the face, obviously, you know, a huge, a huge thing to read, but there's all these other things that you can, you can look at a person and be like, are you hostile? Are you going to try to kill me? Am I going to kill you? Okay. And you start going through all that, you know, that mental checklist. So there were so many other things that I could read. So like the face mask, I don't ever remember that being an issue for me. It was like watching, watching your posture. Okay, cool. Are you touching your right hip? Because I know most people are right-handed. Are you okay? Cool. Are you going for for your back? Are you, so it was just all this like little stuff, and so the face mask kind of wasn't that big of a deal for me. It was just kind of, you know, there. Yeah. So did I feel like that like speaks for the concealed carry? Per, like if anybody's gone through that process and then you start carrying, you you start to look for everybody else who might be carrying, right? Oh yeah. But then you realize. Nobody else is looking at any of this shit, right? Like, this is just us going through the world, seeing the world that way. Nobody else sees anything. And I think the first thing they tell you to do is go walk around Walmart with it once and realize that nobody gives a shit about you. Oh, and no. <laughs> what a big difference that is. And, like, how many military veterans then spend the rest of their lives always kind of looking at the world that way? Well, that was a conversation that I had with uh, my therapist uh, initially. You don't, have, you don't have to put your mic away from the sound of freedom, by the way. Okay. <laughs> On this podcast, you can hear the sound of freedom. America. Those mountains are <laughs> kind of blue. Um, so I remember like the first, I think it was like the first month or two, I would constantly, you know, because, you know, you'd always have your sidearm, right? And so I would constantly be tapping my, my right hip and then nothing would be there. And for the first month, I think there was just solid panic until I realized, it's all right, we're in Target. Karen's not going to try to kill me. It's okay. 
Like if she does, it's going to be with a paper mache bag or something like that. So it was fine. And then, um, yeah, it, it was, it was just, it was just really weird to, to, to make that transition and be like, all right, we're good. And what, what about when Karen stops in the middle of an aisle and all you want to do is kick her in the back and yell fatal funnel. That's oh. a thing. That's a thing. Don't everyone listen closely. Don't, don't stop in the doorway, wherever you are. Like, don't hang out in doorways. Right. At that point, I kind of realized that I'm not going to be the second guy or third guy through. So, you know, whatever, Karen, just foot to the back. Yeah. You're like, go ahead, go ahead. And go instead ahead, you're like, um, <clears throat> could you, <laughs> hi, I would like to get to that shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some people, you start realizing that, you're like, you're not spatially aware at all. You have no idea who is around you. It's so fucking frustrating. My wife has come to enjoy watching my discomfort build whenever we're out in a social square. setting like that. Yeah, I'm just, just like, <gasps> Even her, like in the house, she'll like stop in an area that like there's no space for two to get through. And like, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, this is killing. Right. Like, it, it was like that uh, in the airport. We uh, the three of us took a we, we, God, we went on a flight, I think, to Florida. And this was like months, months and months later. Right. And even like now, still crowds make me a little a little uneasy. Right. Like not not too much. Not to the point, you know, I'm, you know, fucking freaking out or whatever. But um <laughs> My wife and my kid, they will stop it like in the middle of the hallway of the airport and adjust something. And I'm like, hey, let's let's not be here. Let's move. Right. <laughs> let's just get off to the side and take a knee. Yep. Go like Beyonce said, you know, to the left, to the left, you know, <laughs> go and <on>, move. <laughs> so like that kind of stuff does not leave. I don't think. No, I don't think it does. But I think that's uh, as long as you become aware of it and you know that like you're standing, you're like, oh, my God, this is driving me nuts. As long as you can check in with that. Right. I think that's super helpful because yeah. then you can choose to breathe or oh, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever you can do to get through it. Go another way. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not their shit, man. It's ours. It's the burden we carry. True. I mean, and uh, my therapist told me that if you yawn, he actually uh, told me this. Uh, if you yawn, right, that, you know, starts that process like I'm OK, like <sighs> I'm safe. All right, fight or flight. We're getting rid of the whole the whole fight thing, so you know we're good. I mean, that's right. that's how lions like meter their energy when they're hunting, right? Mm-hmm. You'll see a lion yawn. It doesn't mean that it's bored or disinterested. In fact, it's trying to regulate its emotions because it's yep. so tuned up at the time, and it's it is a helpful skill. I mean, I, I, I actually I did that yesterday when I was driving by a semi on the rig. <laughs> like I was in the back seat. I wasn't even driving, and I was like, "All right, we're good. It's okay." I thought you were saying <laughs> yawn, like you know. Because people might be scared of the pandemic. <laughs> and I'm like, you could just flick a booger at him. <laughs> Get him out of the doorway. <laughs> Excuse uh, me. Man, I got this real bad cold and I can't smell or taste anything right now. <laughs> oh, man, I don't understand. <laughs> that's the that's the uh, contagious rash bit in the crowded elevator. That's a good one, too. So you're, so you're doing... You have three months off after you get back in August. Yep. And then... You decided, or well, you ended up on another deployment shortly thereafter, right? Yep, we went to uh, D.C. And what? Tell me about that. How did that unfold? I was voluntold to go there. Uh, <laughs> we did the uh, we did our SRP, right? You know, like in the guard, you know, yep. you do your SRP every month to make sure you're deployment ready. And then they asked, they're like, "Hey, who wants to go to D.C. if we have to go?" And I I don't think I could put my hand any closer to the ground. I was like, "Nope, I'm good. No, I'm good. I don't want to go. No. I'm I'm good." And then I get a call the next day or like 16. Was, was there any more pretext to it than that? Or no, like, hey, if really. we have to go, like, well, why would we have to go? No, no, of course not. No, it was just like, hey, uh, if we need volunteers to go to D.C., you know, who wants to go? 
and they kind of gave some spiel, but at that point I was just kind of checked out. I'm like, Mm-mm. you already Not said it. go to DC. I'm like, nah, fuck that. And but for everybody else's benefit, like this was January of this year, right? Uh, ye oh god, like December because yeah, no, yeah, it was January because the it would have had to been after January right because the insurrection <laughs> happened. Yeah, okay, yep, yep. Uh, so it was in January, and uh, so did you follow whatever happened on January sixth? Like I'm, I'm pretty yeah. checked out on that thing now too. Oh but. yeah, no, I, I was. I remember I was at work, and we happened to be watching the news because I think we were eating. You're eating. doing Madison Fire stuff yep. at this point. Yep. So uh, Madison Fire Department, right? You know, we all eat at the table together, eat lunch, and eat dinner together, and we're all eating dinner or eating lunch, and you know, breaking news like every channel switched to it. Do you remember which channel you had on? Oh God, I don't know. You're, what po- it, you're poking the bear well. The the, the, the local the it, was, it was it was like the local news channel. I can't remember. <laughs> I mean, if you asked me what I wore yesterday and I was at work yesterday, I probably still can't tell you. Like, I, I don't it was know. a uniform. <laughs> <laughs> it was something something blue with white writing on it. I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I remember being at work watching it, and we were all glued to the TV for for most of the day. So, um, yeah. So then you went to SRP with the National Guard, and they're like. Who wants to volunteer and go? Totally unrelated question. <laughs> totally unrelated to recent events. Who wants to go to Washington, D.C.? Yep. Most expenses paid. And you said, not me. And I, then a day went by and they said, yes, you Yeah, I get, a, I get a call the next day and, you know, you get that script like, hey, and, you know, uh, if you've ever been in the guard and, you know, you get that, 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 uh, that script like, hey, you're being... Voluntold basically to go, blah, 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 blah. It's like this like three-minute spiel. They have to call every single soldier and read to them, like, this is what you have to do. It's like, fuck. <laughs> and I'd already been through, like, half a half a bottle of wine. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go pack. This sucks. And then I found out that uh, only one other guy from our deployment in uh, the 105th ended up having to go. The other guys, for whatever reason, were exempt from it or something. So then me and him were just you know, hanging out for most of the time in D.C., just bitching and complaining, you know, like most Joes do. So what did that so, look like? You got the phone call, frowned a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, f- I definitely frowned uh, one or two times. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you packed your bag while finishing your bottle of wine. Yep. Um, reported to the unit and then, you know, did the whole hurry up and wait thing, packed, got everything ready. Um, and then we headed to our, like, they split us up in the units, you know, the, you know, trying to organize all these people last minute. So ended up organized. I get put into this random squad or whatever in this different company in the, uh, the 105th. And then we go down to DC and more hurry up and wait. So you got Uh, organized, you reported to the local armory mm -hmm. in Reedsburg. Yep. Then from there, it was all the way to DC. Went to a different armory. (laughs) And, you know, this is like days and days of hurry up and wait while everyone's trying to get consolidated and figure everything out. So um, did that. And then they flew us in somewhere in D.C. or Virginia or whatever. I, I, I was at. Where'd you fly out of? Eau Claire? Somewhere Madison? State. Yeah, I don't know. I Yeah, I can't remember. Was it uh, what kind of plane? Military? Oh, civilian one. Yeah. No, it was a civilian aircraft. No, no, it wasn't. No, it was. Uh, uh, it was. I think it was the one two eight out of Milwaukee. Yeah, I think it was uh, like the one two eight air air wing or whatever out of Milwaukee. So we flew on this like boom thing or whatever, and there <laughs> there were dudes bitching about you know how uncomfortable it was. 
I was like, man, you have no idea. Luxurious right. compared to your... Yeah. Oh, it was air-regulated. No, it was nice. It was a good flight. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Were they complaining about the lack of in-flight snack? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're like, hey, where's my peanut? This bag is my so towel. small. <laughs> These bags get smaller every year. And I got I got attached to a squad that had a lot of dudes who were who were relatively new and and all that stuff like that. And there were only they they tried to spread a lot of us who had just got off the deployment around. So there was at least some experience for whatever that was worth. I don't know, <laughs> but um, yeah. So right. just kind of kind of hearing hearing some of the the, the bitches and grabs. I'm like, guys, there's more important things. You haven't even learned how to complain yet. <laughs> I know. You guys complain <laughs> like a bunch of amateurs. Yeah, dude, your complaining level's at a three. I'm at like level 75, bro. So some of them, the ones that went to the politicians complaining that you guys were only allowed certain food, was that part of the thing you guys were part of? See, see so some of that stuff, like that and sleeping in the the parking garages, no idea. I ordered Grubhub every single night I was in Virginia. <laughs> I, so, I, yeah, <laughs> like from the, from the plane full of complaining – Privates yep. to to wherever you were. How'd you get there? What'd we you got do? down. Uh, they ended up putting us in like Virginia or something like that. So we took a bus there and they put us up in a hotel. And then they, you know, everyone got their rooms or whatever. I was in a uh, had a, had two queen beds in my room, so that was pretty cool to myself. Just, just fraud, waste, and abuse. No, it was terrible. I was complaining the whole time. You're only one person. Dude, that'd be an Article 15 coming my way for flying my family out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got the spare bed. Better better throw a wife and kid on it. Why? Yeah, why not? Yeah. If what it, was your... If it made you feel any better, um, one of the beds squeaked a little bit if you moved <laughs> so, in the right way. So there's that. Nice. Did you take... You chose the squeaky bed for yourself? Yeah, sure. Yep, yep, sure. So did. you were were you just assigned to hold down that bed, or what was your mission? Yep. So um, honestly, we didn't really didn't get much info, and until you know we kind of got on the ground, like we were like what an hour, hour and a half away. So we did there. Uh, we had our had our briefings or whatever, and like, hey, we're gonna go do this, and we're gonna get a bus. Like we sat on a bus for an hour and a half, going to DC, get get to the armory, get our weapons, get all the eight billion briefs that you got to get. And stage, um, you know, you go, well, like we were in a parking garage, we staged there, go to where we have to stay, and it was just, like, really didn't do anything or much at all. Like, it was weeks and weeks, it was like a week of buildup for kind of nothing. So Were you, were you QRF? Were you guarding something? We were QRF toward the end, but uh, for the inauguration, we were watching, I think, like the backside of the Capitol because we had our long guns on us, our M4s. So they didn't want that, like, in the news and, you know, being visible and all that stuff like that, you know. So we were, we were watching the, no, the east side of the build, uh, of the Capitol, I believe. Yeah, so, like, Independence Ave. Like, I, I slept in, I took a nap in the Library of Congress while we were waiting for our shift. Did you get, did you get any smarter? <laughs> No, but I did take a poop there, which is the crowning achievement of my time there. So I'm very happy about that. Not everyone can say that they've done that. Royalty. You've literally left shit in the Library of Congress. That's kind of a big deal. It was <laughs> glorious, too. It was a good poop. Almost like being published. The poop Almost. Was, the, the poop was fueled by Chinese food. Oh, so it was amazing. Hunt. Oh, yeah, that it grew up to my hotel. Okay. I had no idea what <laughs> your experience was like. It was just, I just thought it would be interesting, you know, that, that you ended up on a mission to protect the Capitol during inauguration day and, it, and so it just for my own purposes like mm-hmm. so I have a clear picture of it 
you were hosted in a hotel in mm-hmm. Northern Virginia and then bust there for that purpose. Yep. And uh, then bust back. Yep. So we were just doing security. We had our like shifts or whatever. Uh, and then we did our shift for the inauguration, you know, president Biden left and then we stayed there for a little bit. You know, it was just like, this was pretty, like, I still felt like I was pretty fresh off the deployment. Like I was still, you know, dealing with my own issues from it. So at first I was kind of like heightened. And then I started to realize I'm like, this is not the same, (laughs) same thing at all. (laughs) So it, it, it was, it was really weird to go from like up down, up, down, up, down, and then be like, all right, yeah, we're fine. And it was just more hurry up and wait than anything. And it's kind of being a presence and, hey, the Army's here. Woo. Dude, that's all you want as a leader is to have a bunch of bored combat arms dudes with no mission. And it's like, you're right. in D.C. Yeah. I can only think of all the stupid shit people could privates could have gotten in trouble with. Let's give them energy drinks. I'm pretty sure D.C. has legal weed. So Did you guys uh, have rippets out there? I I asked. No one did. And a lot of people I asked had no idea what I was talking about, ah, which really pissed me off. Amateurs. I was like, all right, fine. Monsties it is. I'll just drink <laughs> monsters. Fine. Ugh. Peasants. But, That's uh, actually the question we ask people if they're going to come on the podcast is if they know what rippets are. And if they don't, we don't host them. <laughs> Sorry. You actually kneecap them if they don't know. <laughs> My kneecaps are intact then. Thank God. <laughs> And then in some Vietnam, that'll be like, you mean Budweiser? I'm like, oh, man, they didn't give us beer. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Show off. So that was a that sounds like an interesting way to start 2021. How's yeah. the rest of the year been for you to this point? Well, it's, it's been all right. I mean, I'm still breathing, so, you know, can't really complain. But it's been up, ups and downs for sure. Like, harder time adjusting than I thought. So uh, still kind of, you know, figuring it out and... And all that stuff. And I thought it was going to be like a, a straight up linear thing. Like, all right, it's going to get progressively better from zero to 100 percent. I'll be fine. And then that's not the case. There's been ups and downs and all that stuff like that. You know, back to talking to a therapist, back to being on meds and all that stuff like that. So um, thankfully, have a great support system, <laughs> which has helped. But, um, yeah, it's, it's been weird. So extremely weird. Just kind of deal with all that. So, oh, yeah, there's another thing is like with current events. Jeez, man, like all of a sudden then Afghanistan has this the withdrawal that it's had and the vacuum that has been created that all these other organizations, Taliban, ISIS-K and everybody else is piling in and on. Normally, we leave a lot of our equipment is for the the other, you know, resident force to be able to use. And, and yeah. now what? Right. Like is your only hope, the Northern Alliance, that maybe those were actually the warfighters were like the whole time you're just training anybody who wanted a paycheck. But now you actually figure out who the warfighters are. Yep. That's my hope. For what? For the the country of Afghanistan. If 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 that government is gonna ha- if there is gonna be a government and there is gonna be an Afghanistan as a state, that they're gonna have to have a military of their own. They can't continue to be ruled by anybody who has outside influence. You know, we know the Taliban's very well funded by a lot of other countries and organizations. Yeah. ISIS K yeah. is very well funded. That they're gonna have to compete, and unfortunately, they're gonna have to want to be motivated to kick doors down because that's what it's gonna take. So your fear is that it'll just again become a. A heron, uh, like um, excuse me, a haven for totally. people who yeah. mean the U.S. harm. That's the play. I think for anything, it's it's the playground for that type of ideology. What do you mean? Just anti-U.S. Anti. I don't know. Empirical. I, I don't know what how you want to throw. It. Basically, they hate freedom. Empir- oh, 
Anti West. I was gonna say anti-west. like. Yeah. I mean, there's. A, I just. I thought you were gonna say imperialist, like anti-imperialist, and then you said anti-freedom. I'm like, that's those <laughs> like, oopsies. Wait, hold on. I'm just trying to think of. You know, these are their entire philosophy is is to uh, control, right? Yeah. Who's they? They any of those folks that are players Bad in that guys. space? You know, yeah. the the hyper conservative uh, Islamists. And so I think like that's the thing. It's my belief that extremes are where the problems can lie. And and you know we have our own stuff here in, in America. Absolutely. You know, but we're we we have um, we have the structure in place. We have, believe it or not, we do have some trust in our government, even though the people that hate them the most. You know, we trust that our roads are going to function that day. We trust that our fire department is going to show up for us. You know, maybe our politicians aren't going to do the job, but you know, I think and Afghanistan's I would, I got a long way to go. And if I, I imagine that you know there are some communities that would feel differently. You know what I mean? Like, there's. I mean, are we Afghanistan? We're not, right? No, but and so what's the difference? Is the, we have people who are actually willing to stand up and fight for your own stuff. An IED didn't go off on uh, nor, uh, North Sherman Ave and like two years ago, and the hole is still there. Like, we have some. Yeah. We have we have infrastructure. So I, I see what you're saying there. It's my hope like, that like those guys that bailed out to that northeast side or northwest side of the country. I don't know the the AO that well, but like all that Northern Alliance thing. I'm hoping they're getting their shit together, and I'm hoping that we're supporting that. And I'm hoping that right then, now. I'm hoping that they can get in a position where they can they can do some stuff. And maybe all that other fat that was just sitting and collecting paychecks, those Taliban dudes that were were joining the Afghan military. Hopefully they all ran when it came time, and we actually have a good idea of who who is going to be the fighting force now. 20 years is a long time to be somewhere, but 20 years is not a long time for a government to thrive. It's nothing in the context of that country's history. Exactly. Right? 20 years is just a drop in the bucket over thousands of years of warfare. Well, I mean, 20 years in in U.S. history is like a 12th, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, it's not clear to me what the fucking point is, you know, of what. Like I don't like what, one of the, one of the generals over there uh, for the security teams or whatever. He was a he was like a legit Billy badass. Like he had spent his entire career, you know, just killing the Taliban. And we went on this dismounted movement with him, and he showed us like you know this area or whatever. It's his crater. Oh, dude, yeah. Well, I mean, well, I mean, he was. I mean, you could tell the way he carried himself was very different than some of the other guys, right? Like. But, you know, most of the, like, 99% of the other Afghans or whatever that we ran into be like, all right, if we have a Donnybrook, like, all right, man, let's go. <laughs> like, I'll kill you. This guy, all right, this might be a 50-50 chance, maybe less. <laughs> and so, but this guy, you know, you know, no bullshit. He was awesome. He was good at his job. But because he was good at his job, right, he ended up uh, being removed from his position and being put somewhere on, like, the tertiary of the country. Yeah. and. I don't even know if he's still alive right now, but like, yeah. Well, those amnesty cards, I tell you what, I follow a couple ANA dudes that on Instagram that are kind of going incognito right now, and they're just posting pictures of their friends that were granted those amnesty cards by the Taliban. It's pictures of these guys that, you know, somebody, I saw one earlier today, Today, somebody came and knocked up on this uh, ex-ANA uh, Special Forces dude banging on his door, and they're like, hey, we need help going to the hospital or whatever. Came outside, and they just popped him. That's yeah, ruthless over there, man. Yeah. I think it's a hard part is that like over 20 years, there's been plenty of dudes that spent a lot of time in that place. Yeah. Have invested in a lot of relationships and have met good war fighters over there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then this happens. And now it's like, what, what, what the hell? Yeah. There were, there were some of those interpreters that we talked to. I mean, like even some of the, uh, not all the ANA guys, you know, were pieces of shit. Um, no. there were a lot of guys that, you know, that I met that I was like, Hey man, I, you know, I, you know, I'd, I'd fight with you. And then, uh, some of the interpreters too, 
uh, they were just solid dudes. And I've talked to a couple of them recently, and they are kind of left to hang out and dry pretty much. And it really sucks. It's like, you know, I can't do anything for you. And me telling you, I'm sorry, <laughs> that doesn't really help you out much. Like, that doesn't mean shit when – you know, you can come. You can come to America, but then your family has to stay there and figure out. And it's like, what do you do? The well, visa gonna, issues yeah. and stuff like that, right? And yeah. like, then of course you've got people who are are making, I think, fair criticisms when you say, "Oh, an, an entire flight of military aged males," and you're, you know, the other side of the argument is they, their families on a visas, they can't come, so they're all going to come try to yep. get set up and then try to get their families over here if they can. Well, yeah. some of these guys have spent years waiting to get uh, waiting to get visas or, mm-hmm. or, or green cards. Like yeah. they've been like one of the interpreters that I talked to, he worked with multiple SF groups. Like his, you know, his his resume was long as shit, and he had been waiting five years on top of all the time he had spent in, you know, putting in that work. And then yep. he's he's stuck at some airport. Like I, I hope he's still breathing, <laughs> and his family is. But yeah. like, you know, he did all this stuff, and then he has nothing to show for it, pretty much. So it, it, it sucks. It's frustrating. It is. And this isn't just an Afghanistan problem. Like this this stuff happened yeah. in northern Iraq all the way down to Baghdad at a period of time. And I know I, I kind of went through my own reckoning when that happened and like, you know, what was my purpose and all that. And I th- I've come around. So now I see these Afghanistan dudes experiencing that same thing. And But then Vietnam's not untouched. You know, like how many how many operational forces worked through Laos and, and stuff like that with Hmong dudes, mm-hmm. and we're just hoping that some of those dudes they worked with that were Hmong could get over here. And we know that there's been a good refugee effort there, but yeah, that's kind of make it. That's where I'm at with some of this is like, what proportion, you know, even even if we're able to extend our best efforts to our best contributors, you know, from Allied forces, like what proportion are we going to be able to provide that solution for? That seems like a really small you know, small percentage of, <laughs> of what, of what's going on in the country and the people that need help there. And I'm just, and you brought up Vietnam, you brought up Iraq, you know, I, I think there's plenty of other historical precedent where maybe in Korea, maybe in the Philippines, maybe elsewhere, American interference or activities or whichever, you know, however you want to look at it has resulted in a destabilized political environment and people have suffered and and to me it's like sure you know people did a lot over there and sacrificed a lot and have been through a lot but at some point like the sunk cost fallacy is also real too and if and if there's a a pattern that keeps repeating itself and manifesting itself and then we just look back a few a few years after it all ends and we're like boy that was that was bad and that's all that happens like Hashtag vote. You know, vote. Dude, adult decisions are hard, flat out, are. right? And these are these are big, complex yeah. adult decisions that, that all these countries are having to make and things like that. And when you have to make that choice to cut away 20 years of all this stuff and not be able to do everything you can, that's hard. Yeah, you, I, you do got to do something you don't want to do either way. You got to leave a residual force or you got to rip the Band-Aid off. You know, I, I personally have my own... Uh, issues with the way that it was executed for sure you know we have a battle drill for breaking contact there's definitely a thing as uh such as a tactical retreat but uh you know we've got residual forces all over the world we've got people in africa we still have about 2500 dudes in iraq you know what i mean we've got guys all over and that's what we know about right those are those are the published stuff you know (laughs) How much? How True. many? How many groups are out there right. operating? SEAL teams are operating CIA True. teams, etc. Three letter orgs that we yeah. probably don't even know exist. Yeah, yet. yeah. Well, I mean yeah. That, that's a valid point that you make. Like you know, regardless of you know where you, you know where, 
what you do, you know, is going to be bad. It's like yeah. it's like room clearing, right? Mm-hmm. You pick left or right, you know. Right. Huh. Regardless of which way you pick, you probably going to get shot, but like, you know, you got to make a choice. Mm-hmm. So and stick with and then, it. Exactly. Like you can't go left and be like, "Oh, no, just get him to go right." Mm-hmm. No. So um yeah, I guess just having I don't know. The I feel like some of these strategic and political decisions are above my understanding, which is fine, which is why, you know, I'm not a politician, which is why I don't I'm not in the government. But at the same point, um, you know, still be frustrated about it and still talk about it. Yeah, Charlie. I mean, I, everything. I think I think that, um, you know, it might be above your current understanding, but certainly not your ability to understand, you know, and I think that true. you probably and, you know, anyone listening and the people in this room especially have probably have a pretty sharply developed sense of civic responsibility and duty and things like that. So, um I become concerned when when t- I hear too many journalizations and things and and sort of moving away from a certain amount of expertise on something before you know people opine or are asked to opine which is one thing with with the recent changes in Afghanistan like I've been asked my opinion a lot and I'm like man I don't know dude like I'm just a vocal soldier that people right. know they're right. like well what do you think I'm yeah. like I think you should read a book you yeah. know I think yeah. I read a book and I can tell you which book yeah. but how do you feel about what's going on in Afghanistan? Oh man, right how do I feel? Like right. I hate it here. Yeah. What know? kind of question is that? Like how much time you got? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. How, 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 how much booze you got on you right now? Like fuck you. <laughs> well, I got that this week. I'm like the token combat vet in a lot of my workspaces, right? So like, somebody asked what my opinion is, and yeah. at the time I was asked, I had just gotten the alert on my phone that we knew a corpsman had been lost, and we the number went from four up to eleven, and now we know it's thirteen. Yeah. And at that time, I I, I was like, I don't, I don't. I don't know. I'm I'm in it right now. Like I don't have a response. Yeah. Do everything that you think. Trust your gut. If you're wrong, ultimately you're wrong. But at least your intent was good. Yep. And rest in peace to those guys. Oh, now, yeah. And the hard part I think right oh, yeah. now that I see this is like I would think this would be an issue that would unite veterans, and I I, I don't see that. Like I hope that that's ultimately what happens, but I see that that people's uh, polarized opinions are so far apart that it's fracturing the veterans community. And like my hope is my life works is to bring the veterans community to better and have veterans have great lives. And man, it's frustrating to see the way this is playing out. I, I have been asked that a million times, even before, you know, all this happened, you know, how do you feel about Afghanistan and all that? And, um, it's, you know, it's like hearing, you know, it's like hearing, thank you for your service. You know, how, you know, how do you respond to that? Right. And, so even with this, like, you know, how do you feel about what's going on in Afghanistan right now? And what I've been just kind of repeating to everyone is like, you know, what? I don't know. I'm real conflicted. I feel one way. Then I feel the other. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to how to feel. So I can't really tell you. And um, that normally kind of shuts it down right away. And, you know, at a certain, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll give a, you know, a longer answer. But for the most part, it's just I don't know. I I'm still trying to figure that out. And yeah. Being, you know, I'm okay with saying that because sure. I honestly don't know. <laughs> Go back and forth all the time. So, I think a big thing is just being able to humanize it. You know, us us vets, guys that have been over to whether it be Iraq, Afghanistan, or even Africa, and just seeing the poverty, seeing what those people have to go through, being able to humanize it. You know, not just oh, you know, I watched it on the news from you know '01 to '09, and oh, I completely forgot we were over there for ten years, and now all this is happening. You know what I mean? Like. Just being able to humanize it, I think, um, goes a long way. 
when you say that and think of the humanity of it, like the hard part for me is when they showed the the footage of that Air Force flight getting off the tarmac and people were just yeah. grabbing on where they could. Can you imagine seeing flight? that? That'd be awful, man. Especially like you go in as the Air Force or these, you know, these groups that go in and pull off something pretty spectacular to start with. You really want to be proud oh, yeah. of it, but you're just not going to get there probably. And they're going to have to come to terms with that. The good thing is I read up on that a little bit, at least what was available to me is that it sounds like the moment they touch ground, they did get that flight crew off and start talking to them right away. And so hopefully, good. you know, that's, that's awesome. They're not going to, uh, awesome. it's not going to linger in their memory forever. That's, that's one thing, you know, we're very privileged to be Americans and live where we do. You know, I can't think of a scenario, at least in my lifetime, where I'll have to see something like that. Yeah, like even for all the issues that we have here right now, um, trying to describe, you know, being overseas to somebody, you know, you can't, you have to experience it. And the most often phrase that I've used is it is a different world. Mm -hmm. And you know, like it, it's like trying to describe the color red to someone who is colorblind. Like, you know, I can make all these descriptions, but like until you experience it, and that's not like a, like riding a high horse thing. It's like, I just, I cannot describe to you how it is. Like it just, it is. Even if you've been overseas and haven't been in like a combat situation or combat arms, whatever, you just been, you know, you flew in on a bird, dropped supplies off and you just saw it from like a couple hundred feet in the air. Like you just have to experience it, have to see it. There's no way to dis to accurately describe it. I think that is exactly 100% the best way to put that. But we have to have the wherewithal to know that we had that experience and that other civilians here in the States don't have that experience. And therefore we got to give them a pass sometimes. When Absolutely. Yeah. That's true. Absolutely. Stuff comes through. That's true. Somebody, when somebody bitches about the weather and you're like, what? We got no control over this thing, man. Right. I mean, what else I, do you get mad at? Right. I mean, I, yeah, I even, I mean, I, I do that too. I find myself bitching about inconsequential stuff and then, you know, realize, and then come back to that. It's like, well, I've seen worse. So it's, it's not that bad. It's all right. What about, so like uh, on the context of this Afghanistan and refugee resettlement and all that stuff that's happening, Fort McCoy, Wisconsin is a selected site. People have already started yeah. to arrive over the course of the past week. Do you guys anticipate a mission there? Uh. <laughs> and I'm not saying like clearly it's a humanitarian function, but like do you guys right. think there will be anybody from your unit will be called in for any type of, you know, readiness setup? I have no idea and I hope not. Um, I, I say that just because I'm, you know, trying to, get my own life, you know, start paramedic school on Monday. So yeah. I <laughs> already have enough to worry about, you know, paying the bills, getting stuff done around the house and all that. It's like, you know, raising a kid, having a wife, like I have all this other stuff to do. So hopefully not. And it sucks to say that, but like, you know, I, yeah, I, I hope not. And I, I, I can't imagine that there's anything they're going to send 11 Bravos over there to do to help the Afghans over in Fort McCoy. I mean, if they do, you know, Charlie, I just think we have bigger problems. <laughs> just listening, you kind of say all that. Like, makes me curious how the National Guard really fits into your life now. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. what are your plans? What how? What's it like when you have drill and you have your AT stuff? I mean, how disruptive is it? How how do you have to plan for it and balance it with other things? I mean, it's disruptive, right? Like, you know, um, just I mean, just like uh, you know, your your tire popping on the way to work or whatever, right? The only difference is that. I volunteered to have my tire popped, you know, in this scenario, right? Like I've, I, I wrote, a, uh, I signed a contract to say, yeah, I'll have my tire popped once a month, right? So uh, it's fine. And then I actually enjoy what I do. You know, I enjoy being a medic. I enjoy being, you know, an infantryman. So I, I actually like going there. You know, all the, um, like the briefings and all the other, you know, monotonous stuff like 
you know, got to do inventory for the eight million time, right? Like, you know, it's part of it. But for the most part, I enjoy doing it. And, you know, you know, I'll bitch about it, but, you know, I still enjoy doing it. So um, there are definitely times where it is a serious inconvenience, like going to D.C. <laughs> but um, for the most part, I mean, you know, I, I enjoy what I do. You know, I, 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 you know, I don't think anyone joins the army or reenlists in the army because of the massive amounts of money that you're going to get. <laughs> no one volunteers to deploy because of the massive amounts of money you're going to get. So you have to, at some level, base level, enjoy what you're doing, who you're with, and all that stuff, which is what you know what I have. It sucks for you because my first year in the army, they gave me nine hundred dollars a month for money. I thought I was pretty rich. You're rich. Was that like nineteen seventy one? No, man. That was two thousand two. This that is was basic training post, life, right dude. after nine eleven, dude. That was just how it was. It was ten eighty six, and then they <laughs> took taxes out. I'm like, well, I guess I was. I guess that month is gone. That's you know? how I blow civilians' minds away. Is when you tell them how broke soldiers are, and it's just like they don't make anything. You got to be either higher rank or you got to get some time. Yeah. Before you really have anything to show for yourself, nine hundred bucks a married. month is a bar tab. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I was uh, I wanted to tell you a story, Charlie, about this dude I knew in my first unit, and uh, he ended up having a couple kids. I think he was married with one kid at the beginning of his military career, and then had two more kids, and they both ended up being special needs. And uh, you know, with the the deers, yeah, eligibility stuff, and uh, the health care, and all the services that that family got, that was the reason that he was in. You know, yeah, because otherwise he wouldn't be able to afford that kind of care for his kids. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of advantages you can have. I mean, I have my house because I'm in the military. Like I, I wouldn't have been able to afford the, a, a down payment on our house. You know, the VA loan, yeah, yeet. Like, so I mean, I've definitely enjoyed a lot of benefits from being in, and um, my wife having all those resources while I was gone too. Whether or not she used them, I mean, she at least knew that they were there. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of unseen benefits that are past a dollar amount that you see in your check, but, you know, it's also still fun to bitch about not being paid enough. <laughs> what else are you going to bitch about, right? We're no longer on ship burning detail. How much time you got? <laughs> <laughs> and next on our 17-part series with Chuck. Right. <laughs> what do you got to say, man? Like, there's a lot of people struggling now. Hopefully, people pick up this podcast and really get into it uh, right away, but you know, there's a lot of other dudes that have been at downrange to Afghanistan, Iraq, other countries, Vietnam, et cetera. You know, is there anything that's helping you get through right now that you could extend to others? Um, for me, the biggest thing was, and it, it, it took a lot longer than it should have. It took too many PTSD episodes with my dog waking me up, you know, licking my face and, and me being pissed drunk, calling friends. Um, it took me too long to realize that there was a problem whether or not I could identify it. There was something that is wrong and is still wrong. And it isn't just related to that. It spills over into other aspects of your life that, you know, all right. Um, you know, like drinking for instance, right? Like, um, and just, it's okay to not be okay, I guess is the biggest thing that is the biggest realization, right? Like, my wife said, hey, I think you need to go see somebody. And for her to say that to me, it, you know, was a big deal because, you know, she's one of those people that will, you know, she her all her bones could be broken and she'd be like, I'm OK. Just give me some Advil. Right. So uh, just realizing that it's OK to not be OK and just reaching out to somebody 
to talk, whatever, you know, whatever you got to do, like, it's fine. Like there's, there's no shame. And, you know, uh, I've talked to a lot of my guys, um, and, and all that stuff and reached out. We've had all these conversations. I mean, I've even called Will. And so like, you know, it's all right. You know, um, I guess for lack of better words, it's okay. (laughs) And just, just reach out just, yeah. If you break your leg, you go to the doctor. Facts. You know? I think even right now, like with the context and with everything's going on. So if people are tuned up, if people are starting to, you know, feel different, get, you know, getting hyped up and whatnot, that's predictable. That's exactly what should be happening. And so know that. Right. And then let's do something. You know, I know for me, I've been picking up a guitar a lot lately. I don't know what you guys are doing. How you're dealing with all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's funny podcast episode. Uh, listeners doing that. They didn't get to just see Cole do the jerk off motion. <laughs> He's been rubbing. Also been doing that as well. Ubiquitous keeps you grounded. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta say, um, you know, something I think Cole that you said reminded me of this, this quote or this idea that I got from Jocko, and that's you know, um, you can't really escape pain. You have to choose and and the way he frames the choice is one between discipline or regret. Uh, so I think that's kind of funny. Like you can be planful, you can be prepared about something, you can be disciplined and put in work for the bad stuff that you know is coming or, you know, take advantage of the day, however, or you'll experience the pain and regret on the backside. So, yeah. um, <clears throat> that was something for, for whatever reason resonated with me, but to your question, Adam, about what I've been doing lately to try and, wrap my mind around all these different things that are going on is, as I've just been doing a lot of reading and I've been trying to get into, uh, <clears throat> kind of understanding various systems more deeply and, uh, just a lot of history. So I know it's, it's, I think I'm actually trying to move away from it, but I've been using audible a lot for audiobooks and I've gone through a whole bunch of, uh, this lady, her name's Susan Weisbauer, and she wrote like history of the ancient world, history of the you know Middle Ages, history of the Renaissance world, and I'm I'm through two of those, and they're each about like 25 or 30 hours each, and it really is like the history of civilization, just to understand and put into context what are certainly fraught times for us, but I would argue very strenuously that they're not unprecedented. So I think there's lessons to be learned there. And I've also kind of looked at some more modern histories like Andrew Basevich's uh, America's War for the Greater Middle East, specifically in relation to my experiences in Iraq and, and kind of what's what's going on in Afghanistan. That's been an important resource for me. And then just kind of keeping an open mind, like trying to be more self-aware internally and, and you know, understand the trends and forces in the world around me so I can make good decisions and show up in a productive way. Uh, so something that that we had talked about one night when I called you uh, has stuck with me, and I've repeated this to other other guys who I've talked to. Um, there are certain people who are wired to handle certain things differently, right? And that doesn't mean you know this person is weak or this person is that, right? Like uh, there was a call that we had where a guy tried to uh, tried to kill himself, shot himself in the head, and, and this you know this veteran cop uh, had been on for like twenty years, right? That was, you know, his breaking point. And then, you know, for me, going there, I'm like, all right, cool. You know, like, it's another Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever, right? But for this guy, like, that was his breaking point. And everyone is equipped to deal with certain things at certain times 
and there's there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like you could have, you know, been in eight billion firefights and you know be okay. It could hit you later, and that's you know that's how you deal with it. Or, you know, I I've talked to one guy who it hasn't really if the deployment hasn't affected him at all, and he was like, "Is there something wrong with me?" It's like, no, that's fine. Like, I you know worked in EMS for you know in the medical field for like ten years. I've seen all this stuff, and for some reason that deployment did, you know, X, Y, and Z to me. And that's just the way that my brain is wired. That's just the way that your brain is wired. And remember, yeah, when you said that, like, you know, some people are wired to handle certain things a certain way, and there's no shame in being upset or feeling a certain type of way about the experiences that you've had. Like, that's all right. That's just everyone is is different. So hearing that I've repeated that to myself multiple, multiple times. And I'm like, all right, it's fine. Work through it. It's cool. So, um, that has helped me a lot. Well, I think it throws out a buzzword empathy, right? Like that's been a buzzword in probably the last five years, I would think. And you know, me on my side that I do as a social worker and things like that, the more that, uh, we can develop and enhance emotional intelligence that people are going to cope better and do better overall. And so like, even these mantras that we repeat like that, that, Hey man, everybody's just wired different. And so if they're having a, a big blow up over this, or if they're experiencing nothing, that's just how they're put together and how they're going to deal with it. Absolutely. And that's okay. Ultimately, like, you know, it's okay for anybody to not be okay. Cool. Say some more about what you've really been up to these last few months. With, uh, in, in regards to the whole, you know, Afghanistan thing, you know, I never served in Afghanistan, and for a while I really couldn't understand why it was making me as upset as it was. And to be completely honest with you, it's really been making me go stir-crazy, and I've been very angry. My, my girlfriend, she's uh, she's been a party to that. Um, she's been a good outlet, venting to her. Um, you know, my guys are over there right now. These guys, you know, I got out last year. These, uh, these young 19-year-old kids, 18-year-old kids coming in, they're wide-eyed PV1s, PV2s, and I'm on my way out and trying to, you know, pass whatever whatever knowledge 22-year-old Cole had on down to them, and now they're in Afghanistan in the thick of it, you know, and it's it sucks because you want to be there with those guys. You want Absolutely. I would give anything to be there with those guys. Um, Dude, I think if a bus drove around Absolutely. Madison picking vets up, man, how many dudes would be running out with a go bag? And yeah. Oh, dude, let me go get my play carrier yeah. right now. I got <laughs> yeah. you. I'll be, I'll be there in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 been tough. Um, just yeah, just really not being able to be there. You know, I'm sure every like like Adam said, I'm sure pretty much every veteran out there, whether you served overseas or not, whether you served in Afghanistan or Iraq or whatever it is. I think we all had a common goal in our mind or uh, just something that we wanted out of it. You know, we wanted to wanted to stop the bad guys from doing bad shit. And uh, it kind of sucks being powerless. Man, I don't think it's regret. I don't think it's a lot of that stuff. I think it's the idea that, like, you know, we're all looking for a purpose. And then all of a sudden people see this stuff play out and they know that they could be helpful. It's hard not to want to have that urge to go try to be helpful. Yeah. You know, I'm usually reminded of the idea that I'm way out of shape for the military and like <laughs> yeah. it's somebody else's. It's the young dude's time. Now it's time for me to like make sure home is OK. It's like, it's like, hey, man, I know you're not going to get that line. I got you. Daddy can get that line. Right. Like I'm not going to freeze up when so and so is missing, you know, this or that. And it's 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 really frustrating. It's like that feeling of helplessness. Like yeah. there's nothing I can do, especially in Kabul. It's like I know all those fucking streets. Yeah. It's like. There's nothing I can do. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, it sucks. 
I'm just reminded of some experiences I had kind of after my active duty time was done, but sort of in the, you know, when peers I had were still going to the back to the same places, but it was Iraq. So I feel like there are a lot of parallels there. And what, you know, what I'm reminded of is just like, really, I don't want to sound too, too pithy or dismissive or anything too curt with the idea, but it's just like, I had this sense of once I got back, like, okay, things are better now. They're better for me. I'm safe. You know, Iraq can't hurt me anymore. But then three guys that I, you know, served with in various capacities spread across three other incidents that, you know, that I, that got back to me. I realized that like, you know, two of them, two of them died and one of them had a, a traumatic amputation of his leg. And that like really created a lot of dissonance for me and really shook me because of that illusion of safety I had for myself. And I was like, nope, it's, it's over. It's done. You know, the people I worry about and care about are safe. And, and that was wrong. I think you hit the nail on the head there. And it was just dealing with that, you know, and, and for me, it was kind of like, I had a lot of ideas about how things should be. And really I was like a true believer in certain aspects of, of, you know, the service and the marketing materials that, that you're approached with and things like that. Like, you want to stop the bad guys from doing bad things. I want to keep people safe. I feel like I've been called to fulfill this role, you know, and it, and it's, and it is a noble purpose. I'm like, well, you learn a little more, have this experience, have that experience, that illusion shifts a little, your perception of it changes. Now, very fundamental things that, that are important to your healthy function, like your ideas about being safe. Now those things are being called in a question and it is, you're right. Powerlessness. It is all this other stuff. You know, maybe some guilt, maybe shame, maybe maybe fear. But I think if we can just be honest about all the things that are going on, be honest with ourselves and know ourselves, you know, take that interrupting breath, think about things deeply, show up in a way that we want to show up. I think we can, you know, get through it all. But again, to me, it's just like, what are we really accomplishing over the long term with all these things and with ourselves, you know, because... We're on to other things now, for the most part. So yeah, well, you you can you can leave overseas. Like I, I talked with my 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 team leader while I was over there, um, and uh, you know he said you know he's had multiple deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan, and he's like you know just forget forget it all, and you know he's called me, checked up on me, and all that you know given my history and I've, you know discussed with him, and um, I was like man you know just the way my fucking brain works like. I can try to forget it, right? But like some of that stuff, you know, it just doesn't go away, right? Like you just there's certain things you don't forget, like and like you like I'm not gonna stop looking at people a certain way, I'm not gonna stop feeling a certain way, I'm not gonna pass semis for the rest of my life or to a certain degree without having some sort of like pucker factor or whatever. And there are just certain things that just that don't leave, right? But uh like you said, realizing that, like being truthful, like, all right, cool. Like, this is a reality in my life. Like, it's not debilitating. Like, I can still, you know, live a healthy life. I can still eye everyone up. But, like, can yeah. I kill you? Okay, cool. I can? All right. As long as I'm not actually acting on that and it's not interrupting my daily functions, like, it's fine. But there are just certain things that you you take home with you, whether or not, you know, you know you've been through, you know, as Four Leaf and Tropic Thunder said, the shit um, that <laughs> are always going to be with you. So, I mean... Yeah, I mean that was a yeah valid point. 
I think it's nice to hear something, it's such an enlightened conversation. I think everybody's definitely put some thought into it. You know, I know there's plenty of other dudes out there, veterans, uh, you know, and women that have served alike that I don't know if they're going to be able to, to, to get to the point that maybe we're at, you know, that, that have such a level of self-actualization that, you know, how can we help some of those other folks along that maybe aren't going to be able to put this level of, of care into it? You know, there's going to, still going to be some folks that get spooled up pretty quickly and, you know, what can we do as, as, as leaders and mentors across military and veteran culture? You know, what else can we do? What can we promote other people to do? You know, what other ideas do you think are out there? Because, you know, this conflict's not going anywhere. It's not going to get better tomorrow. And so, like, as we know, it's going to be challenging for more people. Some folks might get triggered later and things like that. What else can we do or inform other people to maybe do? I think just having a buddy. I think that's the biggest thing. Just having somebody that can actually genuinely listen to you and and understand what you are saying. You know, fellow vet or somebody that's been through something themselves, just somebody that can actually put themselves in your shoes, the buzzword empathy, you know, looking out for each other. I mean, Adam, you said, what did you say? You had a nice turn of phrase. Community is the intervention, basically. Community is... Connection. Yeah. Connection is the intervention, right? And so, like... I know for me, I was going to try to solicit you guys and I'll jump in and maybe insert some of my stuff. Sill- sending silly memes, messing around with Cole and being like, hey, dude, have you gotten a contractor job? Are you working for Eric Prince yet? Like, yeah, are, right. you, are you Blackwater? <laughs> <to the group?" laughs> like, and so then at least I've opened a line of communication. He's like, and he can say to me, no, bro, I haven't done that. When I know that if I got in a search history on his phone, he oh, probably yeah. ran through every government dude, job. There, I went, I did, can you give me a reference? In, 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 yeah, dude, in, like, in all honesty, I definitely... Went through a phase, and I feel like go through many phases. You know, they get smaller as time goes on, but I'm just like, man, I have all these skills. Like, yeah. gosh, I wish they were. But they're, I mean, right. that's not who I am anymore. I don't, I don't want to do that. It would nice, it would be nice to be comp- compensated, right, for for that skill set and have it, you know, be, access it some more a little uh, again. But, but that's not who I am anymore. But I definitely sympathize yeah. with like clicking on the, oh yeah, clicking on the ad, oh, yeah. you know, googling this and that and the other thing. Oh, yeah. I've but, been calling them, leaving them messages. They haven't been getting back to me, man. I don't know what's up. Like, what's the weight limit, bro? It's <laughs> like, have, you, have you told them that you've killed X, X amount of babies yet? Maybe, that, maybe this that's mailbox why. is full. I think I left that part out. That's this mailbox. Mail. <laughs> this, this, this email. Please do not re- reply to this. Sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> Sir. No. Uh, so I'm reminded uh, a lot of times when, you know, we start talking about community and connection and kind of getting into a better place when you're dealing with stuff. I'm reminded of the story of Rat Park, and I don't know if we've ever really talked about it, but it's these researchers got some rats addicted to cocaine, and uh, mm. the, yeah, well, turns out rats and humans. Congrats, Chuck just got a piss <laughs> test on Monday. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the the rats after they got hooked, they. Um, some of them were sort of left in their standard laboratory cages, but some were moved to to Rat Park, and Rat Park had everything that a a rat would would possibly ever want, like toys and community and potential mates and plenty of food and stuff. But the but the other rats that were left in sort of the standard laboratory cages, they would they would their cocaine addiction persisted and became so severe that so severe that. You know, they would at times choose the cocaine infused water over food or regular water. And, and you know, they had some poor outcomes. But the, the rats that ended up in Rat Park, they managed to quit the 
cocaine infused water, you know, more quickly and return to happy lives based on the strengths of those connections and having access to plenty of resources and stuff. So, yeah. you know, um, being able to self-actualize, being able to move up that like Maslow's hierarchy of needs there and being able to identify, you know, what's missing and getting those places in, whether it's physiological stuff, whether it's social connection, whether it's, you know, belonging, uh, or finding your, you know, whatever your new purpose is and be truly becoming self-actualized and orienting yourself in that way. Like, that's a huge journey that's different for everybody. And I, I think that's a big thing too, right? Like we talk about community, right? And you talked about it's a different journey for everyone. Um, Adam, your dog loves me. No, my dog thinks you're anxious. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um, But, it, I mean, it's different for everyone, right? Like you say, you know, some people, like myself, I you know, I, I don't want to go out and meet a whole bunch of, you know, like being an introvert, extrovert, or whatever, however you put it, right? You know, it depends on, you know, which way the wind blows, right? I don't want to go meet 8 billion people I don't know. Or there's some days, you know, I might, you know, it right. kind of depends, right? So you just, I think it depends on uh, finding out what works for you best, right? It's definitely nice to hear, um, you know, so many different ways to, to kind of crack the nut on, on being healthy and getting well and things like that. So uh, appreciate you stopping by. Like I said, it's nice to see you in one piece, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's good to be in one piece. I had a great time being on. Thanks, guys, for inviting me. Yeah, I look forward to hearing more about your story, Cole, and having you back for some more chats. I'm sure we'll coordinate for that. And Charlie, best of luck at paramedic school. I know that's going to be a big step for the firefighting career. I'm proud of you. I appreciate what you do for the community. Glad that you're doing that for yourself, too, and moving forward. Thank you. If you call 911 and you see a tiny brown guy, it might be me. Well, I'm just going to start pranking 911. <laughs> That's all right. That's Station 10. I don't work there. So go for it, bud. <laughs> right on. Fight or die, everybody. Yeah, fight or die. Thanks for listening. <laughs>